Chester Copperpot! Don't you guys see? Don't you realize? He was a pro! He never made it this far. Look how far we've come. We got a chance. Chance at what, Mikey? Getting killed? Look, if we keep going, someone's really gonna get hurt. Maybe dead. Besides, we gotta get to the police. Maybe Chunk already got to the police. Maybe Chunk is dead. Don't say that. Never say that. Goonies never say die. I'm not a goonie. I want to go home. I forgot. But still, don't you realize? The next time you see Sky, it'll be over another town. The next time you take a test, it'll be in some other school. Our parents, they want the best of stuff for us. But right now they gotta do what's right for them. Cause it's their time. Their time. Up there. Down here it's our time. It's our time down here. That's all over the second we ride up Troy's bucket. Effect Podcast. We take all things filmed to the full effect. My name's Ed. With me is my cinematic life mate and co-host Sean. Good morning, Film Effect. And if you're a fellow cinephile like us or just a casual fan of movies, then you've come to the right place. We're a weekly podcast that do deep dives and touch lives of each episode, focusing on a particular film each week in an effort to give the full Film Effect treatment. But before we get into the nitty gritty, I want to let you guys know that our ever-growing collection of previous episodes can be found on our website at podpage.com slash the-film-effect-podcast, as well as all major platforms. There you can also access everything Film Effect related, including our merch store, where you can find everything from shirts to mugs to pillows to virtually everything all in one place. Dude, we got beer koozies. I want a beer koozie. I think we do. All right. Give me some beer koozies. All right, Zon Show, can you tell the listeners where to find us on Facebook and Instagram? Yeah, that's going to be the Film Effect Podcast. And how about that Twitter handle, which is definitely the most active place for everything Film Effect related. You want to send those over to Film Effect Pod. And if you want to do email, what's that address you put in? The Film Effect Podcast at gmail.com. All right. So it's been a couple of days since our last recording. How things been? Uh, obviously, a little improvement personal situation. We talked about that, so I'll be more, uh, more on Friday. Uh, back on the road again, so got me a vehicle. 
Nice. That's good news. So, awesome news. Yeah, things are looking up one day at a time. You know what I mean? Just like uh, just like Bad Blake, gotta take it one day at a time. <laughs> I gotta tell you, man, I fucking slept on my neck the wrong way last night. Now I can't look to my right. Yeah, don't you hate that shit? Ugh. The drag it is getting old. I don't know what's worse, that or the fucking dog days of summer we're experiencing. Not Jesus Christ, man. Dog days of summer. What does that even mean? Uh, it's, I don't know. It's, but it's, it's, it's a little like the sun's out there going, Ah, oh, Maryland looks really nice right now. Let me get a closer look. I tried, no, no lie, I tried going out this morning to check out the sunrise yeah, like I usually do. Too hot that early? No, 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 no. Uh, not that at all. It actually was perfect. It was like low 60s, perfect weather. But um, yeah, you posted a video or something. Didn't it's you? yeah, but it's so hazy because I was like, the sun should be out. It's been 15 minutes. It was so hazy you couldn't see the sun till it was like out, and the redness started to come through the haze. All you could see was the heat from the sun. Like I stopped recording and I saw the like a squint of my eye. I'm like, oh my god, the sun is up. Boop, go back to recording. And it, <laughs> it was just, it was weird. Yeah, it's almost hot enough out there to where you can hear the sun. Like you just going. <laughs> yeah. The other night when it was raining, I came home and it was like sunset, like dusk, whatever. Um, my goddamn next door neighbor is cutting grass in the rainstorm. The, no that, that, I'm not tur- making that, that shit up. That hurricane that we had, he's out there running a lawnmower? Lawnmower. <laughs> you live next door to some idiots, man. This young dude who works for Tesla. It's I don't know. You, you, you gotta wait like four what are they days poisoning you guys with over there? You cut the grass. Everybody knows that. That's just I don't know. I've never seen that before. He's cutting it in the rain. Um, Thanks for a bitch to clean those blades, man. Couple of podcast notes. Uh, my birthday film is officially set. So August sixteenth, I officially know one hundred percent what my movie's gonna be. Are you gonna spill the beans, or is it a surprise for all of us? Not yet. <laughs> okay. We already determined my birthday film, I believe, didn't we? Suspiria. Yes, sir. Yes. That's going to be a fun dive. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Do a little um, touch on the original beginning, but I want to focus on Guadalino's remake because it really took me by surprise and blew my fucking hair back. Now, we got two days left, but right now we're definitely on pace to have our best week ever in terms of numbers. Really? We're only about six downloads away from peaking or, you know, the yeah peaking the uh, top position so nice. far. Nice. So, nice. To everyone who turned in, turned in. To everyone who tuned in to us this previous week, this past week, just thank you. It's, it's been an awesome week as far as numbers go. I, I've mentioned it before. Like, I don't really pay attention to the numbers. I don't do it for that. But when it's there and you see it, you know, you're not going to turn a blind eye to it. Yeah, it makes you feel good about what we're doing. jumping the way they have been, it's like something you got to acknowledge. So Right on. Many thanks to everyone. I know we had a couple new episodes and that helped with the algorithm, so... Yeah, we'll see. I know this will drop once the new week starts, but it, it, it was still fun. Well, odds are that. up. We got two up this week, so that might increase the chances. Yeah. So. All right, let's do some shout-outs. Shout-out to his family. All right, shout-out to best film ever, Paul and Griff. Your next favorite movie, Film Floggers. Uh, I missed her last time, but certainly not this time. And that's in reference to M at Verbal Diorama. Jolene, edit goes down in the PM, Saturday Night Freak Show, Recapping Gown, Backlook Cinema, Halloweenies, Thief's Monthly Movie Loop, The Good, The Bad, and The Sequel, all quality podcasts that get the film effect seal of approval, so go check them out. Mm. Currently charting in the US, Nigeria, and Hong Kong. It's been the same three regions for the last like three or four weeks now. They sure love us in Nigeria, don't they? <sighs> Still in their top 100. It's right crazy. On. Thank you guys, seriously. 
Uh, one new region. Yeah, I know it's been only like two or three days since our last recording, but we already have a new region. Who we got? South Korea. South Korea. Welcome to the party, pal. All right. All around the world. All right, it's current events. Check out Jackass Forever and the uh, Malign- Malignant. Malignant. Uh, no, I have no desire for Jackass. Curious about Malignant. But you know what I did watch a little bit ago, just before you pulled up, okay. was the uh, uh, the trailer for Ridley Scott's The Last Duel. I, I saw that he had a trailer. I didn't even know he was doing this. Is it, it a movie or a show? No, it's it, it's a movie. It's a movie. It's a true story about the actual last duel in France between a knight and his and his squire. Well, um, Damon and Affleck reunite, but apparently Affleck had to step down to a smaller role, even though he's in it. He's not, he, uh, Adam Driver took over for the role. So it's Damon is the knight. Uh huh. And, uh, Adam Driver is, is the squire. And I don't know who Affleck plays some, you know, member of, I guess, royalty or whatever, but it's essentially about, a you know, I, I guess Damon's character goes off to war in the crusades or something. And comes home to find his wife accuses his best friend slash squire of rape. So he goes to, he challenges him to a duel for her uh-huh. honor. You know, it's a duel to the death and, you know, may the best man win. And the only the truth, you know, it's, it looks a little moody. Um, I want to say driver seems to be the strongest aspect of the film for me, but, but, you know, that guy's just, you know, very powerful actor. Have you ever seen Silence, the Scorsese movie he did with Andrew no, Garfield? No, I never got around to that. Dude, it's, I was, I, try, I did not think I was going to like that. And it's been probably five years or so now. Maybe. I keep hearing great things. I've never it, heard a bad thing it, about it. It really is. It doesn't, it's like not a premise that would normally intrigue me, but I'll be damned if I wasn't fucking riveted. And it was, you know, Scorsese did that. I think probably his last film he did before The Irishman. And it's, you know, Driver and Garfield as, you know, I believe the Roman Catholic priests and their mentor, Liam Neeson, is they go in search of him because he was out, you know, he was traveling the world on his missions and kind of went missing. Uh-huh. But it's very, it's naturally, it's faith heavy because of Scorsese. We all know he, you know, he brings his, you know, Orthodox Catholicism into just been any tale he tells. Um, but yeah, the, like I said, the premise does not seem interesting at all, but I'll be damned if it's not a fucking riveting film, hmm. you know, which is what's got me intrigued about this last duel. I think I'm more, more curious for driver's performance. Uh, Damon's carrying a mullet throughout the whole film. So that was pretty interesting. I believe it takes place in like, you know, 12th or 13th century France. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I have the, really no desire for jackass. I'm kind of beyond that shit. Curious about my it's, it's, it's guys around. I mean, I hate to put it this way, but it's like guys around your age. It's kind of like one last hoorah. Yeah, I know. And if I you're know. like me, you grew up with jackass because I definitely did. Like, yeah. If, I mean, this is their, if this is their true final film, because I personally felt that jackass 3D, for those who don't remember, it's been a couple years. Um, more like 10. I think we went to the, see that, the, didn't we? I didn't see it in the theater. Oh, okay. I remember. I missed that on the 3D aspect. I, I but thought the I whole thing was the ending. The end credits had like, it was kind of like a big, it kind of acted like it was their final film, the way they had like the big Weezer memory song playing over the, uh, 
shots of the different cast members, and then they have like a childhood picture or a video of them from yeah. like when they were kids. And it, it just that felt like the final chapter to me. And to me, that's where that's where like I. I don't know. The, the appeal had already kind of worn thin around there for me anyway. Like, you know, I get it. It's goofy. You know, but they always it's find a way to outdo themselves. And by yeah. judging by this trailer, they definitely did it again. Yeah. I'm not saying, you know, I'll watch it. I'm not going to, I'm not going to go out of my way to seek it out or drop a dime on it, but you know, I'll give it a look when I can, but it's, it's, you know, it's, it's not fun. It's nothing, anything I'm really super looking forward to. I am curious about that malignant. Though. That's James Wan's new movie. Yeah. Right? We'll talk about that next. Like, Again, the trailer doesn't really tell you. I mean, it, it gives off the feel that it's another supernatural movie from James Wan, and that's kind of what I had a feeling it was going to be. But then, like going into production and stuff, he's talking about like how it's got like a heavy giallo act, uh, um, a heavy uh, giallo like influence. Uh, influence. Thank you. That's what I was looking for. Is influence. Well, okay. Now, now I'm a little more intrigued because you know I'm a big. Giallo but I fan. saw nothing giallo in this trailer. Well, uh, I yeah, just saw trailer, like, so. ghosts and CG images and, 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 um, I mean, for true Giallo, I got to have a point of view with some black gloves, you know, I, I got to, I'm intrigued by the quote unquote killer's look, but it's kind of like, I don't know, been there, done that. Um, I, I, again, it's, it's, it's a very vague trailer. Um, it's a full length trailer. It's not like a short teaser or nothing like that. It's two and a half minutes, but okay. again, it, I, Unless the final movie is something totally different, I don't know. I'm very curious about this. If anything, I'm, I'm curious. Kind of like, and that Shyamalan's old. I'm very curious about this movie. How yeah. it pans out. Yeah, yeah, me too. I'm curious. You know, there's going to be a twist. What's the twist? You know, stuff like that. I mean, it's tough to do modern day Yalo in the current, you know, in the current. I don't want to say climate, but I mean, let's face it. Even the king of Yalo, Dario Argento, hasn't really. Produced. He's been irrelevant in the last two decades. I know he hasn't really produced Sad. anything. That, that I tried that. What was it? Uh, the um, House of Cards or the, the the last film he did had something to do with cards. I forgot. I, it's, yeah, I was just like, I I prefer my I prefer my Argento in the in the seventies and eighties at this point. Right. You know. So I don't know. Comes out in September. It'll be on HBO Max. We'll see. Oh, there we go. It's it's Warner Brothers, so it's okay. part of that first year. Cool. I'm glad they're sticking with that. Although. There are they're they're still on the fence whether or not they're doing Dune that way in October, right? Or had they said they're... I keep flip flopping. I don't know God what they're doing it. with Dune. I know I saw the the, the character posters dropped the other day. But. Yeah, I was I was surprised we got a good look at at, at, at Baron Harkonnen, um, in that because it was the best look you saw at Skarsgård so far. Even Skarsgård, even though it's you know just the kind of headshot. Because um, I remember seeing you know David Lynch's original. Um, when it first released, I was actually like an, an army base or something. My mom was dating a guy that was enlisted and, you know, he took me and his two kids and dropped us off to go watch this new sci-fi spectacle. I was, I don't know, nine, ten years old. It was cool to me, but I wasn't, never been a fan of the literature, but the story itself is intriguing. I think Villeneuve's the best guy to tackle it, especially if he's going to give it the full treatment the way it deserves. Because Lynch just, you know, was under the studio pressure to just crunch that whole thing into two hours. You just can't do it. Right. You know, and in fact, my, you know, one of my favorite characters in the original, Fade Ralpha, played by uh, Sting, isn't even showing up in the first half because, you know, by the, by the time they close out, his character's not even introduced in the books. I'm curious about what our boy Batista's going to do, you know. Yeah, and seeing a movie like this and the hype surrounding it makes me wish I was a Dune fan, you know. Yeah, but I'm, to I'm get into so it, Chris, you would unfamiliar I'm, to it. I don't think we'd have time to sit down and read Herbert's epic tomes 
and get them all done and, you know, no. devour them and, you know, and make sense also, them before October. Because, like, you know, a show that I was really into, I still am, I just ended too soon on HBO called Togetherness that uh, the Duplass brothers did. Mm-hmm. And Mark Duplass's character and his best friend are, like, obsessed with Dune. And right. by the end of the, either the first or the second season, they put on this, like, big presentation for like this grade school kids and it's dude and they, like, <laughs> they made the stuff themselves they're depicting like the sandworms and the spices of arrakis yeah. and stuff like yeah, that yeah i thought that was yeah i mean funny. it's very heavy on the lore man i mean you get somebody who's into that shit and they'll, they'll they'll spend all day with you telling you you know how the house is intertwined and i mean it's an interesting story but it's it's like again it's it's like tolkien with lord of the rings it just goes into uber detail about right. the past and the you know, again, the lore. There's a lot of lore behind that, which, you know, I'm not going to seek out because it's probably 4,000 pages to devour everything he's ever written. I'm not going to have my way to do that, but I am very, very curious to see what Villeneuve brings to the table. And I hope to God that he agrees to do that other half because apparently he's like, if we don't get a theatrical release, I'm leaving it at one and done. And that's going to piss people off again. It's a big coin flip right now. Yeah. Because I have sucks. no clue how it's going to turn out. Yeah. Personally, I'm not even going to say it because it's just it. it it's too early to speak on. Yeah, it it's really too early is. to speak on. So I don't know. Yeah, we'll know more in a few months, obviously. But in the meantime, weekly recommends. Right what would you get for a six-year-old boy who chronically wets his bed? All right, so I'm going to throw out there. It's kind of cheating because it's three movies, but <laughs> that Fear Street trilogy on Netflix. <sighs> I just finished the third uh, film yesterday, and okay, a few things. Number one. Um, Christopher Allen Nelson did the effects makeup. Props to him. Standout effects. There's no CJ. The shit's legit practical. Love it. Uh, number two. Um, yeah, no, don't do this again, guys. This was not. It's, it was a cool idea, cool concept, especially when you find out that 20th Century Fox was originally going to do these movies theatrically. Really? Yeah. See, I don't know. Like, I don't know much about them. They, they're they're based on like a series of like uh, like like, like novels. Or else, I was gonna say it's a Goosebumps guy. What's that? Wrong okay. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. so Mandy, Mandy apparently read the so she, I read she read the Fear Streets. Um, I knew that. I just found out they were based on. It's more like how it was kind of like I guess geared towards a little bit of an older generation than Goosebumps would have been. Is what I'm is what I'm taking away. Yeah, because this was directed towards teens, whereas Goosebumps, Goosebumps was, was like grade school, grade school. Because I was in like fourth grade when they came out, right? Like big, right? That's yeah, Mandy read them. It. She was curious, but all the marketing I've seen, it just kind of looked like, you know, a B-level Stranger Things by way of American Horror Story. And I just didn't. And it turns out that way because, like, it feels that way at first, especially because, like, you know, mild non-spoiler, Maya Hawk is in, like, the beginning of the first film. And it's in a mall. And I'm like, okay, your character is in a mall in Stranger Things. Uh, right, right. Where's the difference here? It's, it's the same it's, thing. It's chaptered out of like different time periods, if I'm not mistaken. It starts in 94. Right? Okay. That's the first movie. The okay. second movie, 78. Okay. Third movie, 1666. What? But there's a twist that okay. I'm not going to really go into. Okay. There's a reason for these three, and it works. I did like the... Um, so the ultimately, way. they all tie together. Yeah, it's oh yeah, not, it's one giant story. You, 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 you have to see. You have yeah. to see all three. But, of if, those films. but the, my third point, or my third, third thing, I wanted to say is, if anything, watch these films to watch the second one, nineteen seventy eight. 
Shit blew me away. It was awesome. That's about that's what would intrigue me is that whole you know late seventies. I mean, I was I yeah I haven't watched it because the first one's obviously like a scream film. The second one's like an eighties slasher movie, Pick Your Poison. And the third one's like a supernatural witch, you know, like uh, you know, like a get more of a gothic type, yeah, horror. Right, right. I mean, I'll give him a run when I got nothing else in. I still got to wrap up that last episode of Loki. Um, No spoilers. No, no, I'm not. I'm like I said, I haven't watched it yet. Um, so, all right, I'm, I'll give him a look, but he just had me getting good word of mouth, and the marketing just, you know, didn't really, you know, turn me on. Didn't blow my hair back like I, I would expect it to do. Uh, for me, I came up with a unique one. Um, it's been a while since I watched it, but I wanted to bring it up, and I don't think we've ever talked about it before. Uh, film 2012. Directed by David Lynch's daughter, Jennifer. It's called uh, Chained, starring Vincent D'Onofrio. Do you know what I'm speaking of? Chained? He's a serial killer? Yes, yes, yes. As a matter of fact, <laughs> Mandy had found it stumbling um, through age, through on demand or whatever uh-huh. years ago. And she's like, well, let's, let's give this one a look. And... Um, we decided to give up like, like, okay, babe, I'll give it a shot. She was intrigued by the, you know, the poster art, the premise and whatnot. And I'll be damned if I was not fully riveted for this film that I'd never heard of. I'm a big D'Onofrio fan anyway. Oh, yes. Yeah, you know, and I, I think the last Jennifer Lynch film I watched was her debut, which was Boxing Elena with Jeremy Irons back in the early nineties. But yeah, basically D'Onofrio's character, Bob, is a cab driver, but he uses that cab to abduct his victims. And yes, I know the movie is Bring now. them back yep. to his house yep. and he tortures and kills a girl. So the begin the film opens up with him basically picking up a mom and her son, I think at a mall or a movie theater or whatever, brings them back to the house, kills her, chains a little boy to his kitchen table, and basically holds him captive for the better part of a decade, grooming him to be you know, his apprentice. It's a very, very uncomfortable story. Okay. D'Onofrio. What's, kinda, it, what's it on? What service? Uh, it's, it, it's, it's, it's streaming right now, but you got to rent it on Prime. Oh, yeah. It just, I just, for whatever reason, gotcha. I was like looking up some stuff and I saw something from D'Onofrio and I was like, let me talk about that today. And, uh, yeah, it's only a couple, but it's like not even $4 on Prime. You can rent it. Um, but it's not, it's not streaming, you know, anywhere gotcha. for free right gotcha. now with a subscription. But it's, trust me, if you got, Four bucks for 48 hours. You're in for a hell of a ride. And D'Onofrio, he plays, is very, very uncomfortable. Like he plays, uh, he, he brings certain like tics and mannerisms and, and like just the way he created this character of Bob that it's, it's, it's a cool little thriller slash horror movie. Yeah. Basically this poor kid is chained to this guy's table for to the point where you know, by the by the act three, the kid doesn't know anything other than Bob. He don't remember his mom and dad. You know, right. it's definitely an uncomfortable ride, but it's worth your time, man. So yeah, Jennifer Lynch's chain from 2012. I'm gonna recommend that one for a run. Very good. This is usually the part where we get to the movie of the week. And in this case, we're gonna get to it. It's the Goonies, obviously. Mm-hmm. But um we're doing it for a very specific reason. And that's because uh, over the last couple of weeks, we lost legendary director Richard Donner. Rest in peace. Yes. And looking back at his filmography, it's not the fact that he, he's he got quite the illustrious career that I didn't even know he had 
I I learned a thing or two myself going back over it for this. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I was getting at is, compared to your average director, he didn't really put together his movies were spread out. He doesn't have like the biggest number of movies under his belt, but the movies he did make are by Hollywood standards, you know, they're legendary, you know, you got your lethal weapons, your supermans, um, your, the omen, look what happened to that, turn, mm-hmm. turn the franchise out of that. Mm-hmm. He didn't, I mean, yeah, he played a huge he, part he, in he, Tales from the Crypt. Yeah. He, yeah. He, he worked in different genres. I didn't realize his last film was at 16 blocks with, oh, yeah. uh, with Bruce Willis. Bruce and, Wilson, and, and, uh, most deaf, most deaf, which wasn't bad. Um, I enjoyed that. I've, I've seen, Pretty much all of the stuff, you know. Have you ever seen that that Donner cut of Superman two? I've never seen Superman two. Period. I'm not a huge. Mm-hmm. I've never been a Superman guy. Right. It's, yeah. I mean, I I, I sold them because I mean they were you know they I'm were familiar with it when yes, when, when I was when I when I was young. Those were the the comic book movies you had back then, you know. And he shot one and two simultaneously, but. You know, by the time they wanted to release two, they 86 and had to replace with Richard Lester. And then Lester kind of reshot 60 to 80% of the film. I actually have the Donner cut, um, over there. I prefer it just because he kind of, I don't know. I well, just, I'm going to tell you, yeah, well, it, it, it tells a more linear story. To what me. I did is I kind of put together sort of like an, an obituary. I'm going to, oh, okay. I'm going to, I'm going to read, um, and chime in at any time. It's, sure. it's, um, something I put together. Sure. And, um, so yeah, this is for Richard. This is the most incredible evening I ever thought possible. And um, had a lot of written words and a lot of thoughts, but I, I had no idea this was going to be anything like this. I, when when um, it was uh, prepared, I mean, uh, presented to me um, by Mr. Haberkamp, Haberkamp of, 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 of the Academy, I... And my wife had uh, said, yes, he'll do it. This is before she spoke to me. And uh, I really, I'm, I'm, I'm bummed. I can't believe it. I'm so embarrassed to hear uh, uh, people talking about me because I assume when I'm not around, it's a totally different conversation. <laughs> But um, it's mind-blowing. I mean, you have no idea. Um, whoever out there had been honored or got an award or you um, it's you, you sit here and you look at it and you listen to all those people talk about you and you say, that, is that me? Is it really? It's hard to understand. I, I just, um, I got very fortunate in, in <clears throat> that I was able to make movies. Right, so Richard Donald Schwartzberg was born in Bronx, New York, to Russian Jewish parents, Hattie Horowitz and Fred Schwartzberg. His father owned a small furniture manufacturing business, and his mother was a stay-at-home mom. He had a sister, Joan. His grandmother owned a movie theater in Brooklyn, which had an early influence on his perception of film. After graduating from high school, Donner served in the U.S. Navy, become, uh, becoming an aerial photographer. Briefly attended New York University, but left to uh, pursue a career in acting, relocating to Los Angeles, and adopting the stage name Richard Donner. Initially, Donner wanted to develop a career as an actor. He gained a bit part in a television program directed by R- Martin Ritt, 
who encouraged Donner to become a director instead. Ritt hired Donner as his assistant. Later, Donner was on the staff of Desilu, where he directed commercials. He transitioned into television dramas in the late 50s, directing some episodes of the Steve McQueen Western uh, serial Wanted Dead Dead or Alive. I love that show, man. And the Chuck Connors Western Rifleman. Very similar shows, but, you know, essentially for the, the, not, not to stray too far off topic. One of Dead or Alive was essentially the, the inspiration for Rick Dalton's Bounty Law and Once Upon a Time. I picked up on that. Yeah. 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 I actually had my dad. I remember my dad. I was going through a huge Steve McQueen phase years ago. My dad was telling me about this show and I've never heard of it before. And we're at a dollar store one day and I come across like the first two seasons on a $2 bin. So I actually have like, 20 nice. some episodes of one that are alive. 30 minute black and white episodes with, 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 with a young Steve McQueen as bounty hunter Josh something or other. I forget his last name. But yeah, if it's essentially that's bounty law is more than dead or alive. Gotcha. Didn't know Donna directed a couple of those. I may actually have a few. Warren Oates shows up in one. (laughs) All right. So during his early career as a director, he worked on over 25 television series, including Have Gun, Will Travel, The Fugitive, Combat, Get Smart, The Man from Uncle, The Wild Wild West, Gilligan's Island, Kojak, the Twilight Zone. He directed Nightmare at twenty thousand feet. feet. I knew that. I did not know that. Yeah, yeah, he did. He he did the Shatner episode. Yep. Wow. Yep. As well as the serial Danger Island from, and then he also directed some episodes of The Banana Splits. (laughs) I love it. Donner's first feature film was X-15 in 1961, which starred David McLean, Charles Bronson, and Mary Tyler Moore. Seven years passed before he directed his next, called Salt and Pepper in 1968, with Sammy Davis Jr. and Peter Lawford. His breakthrough film was The Omen in 1976, uh-huh. a supernatural horror made in, in the wake of the success of The Exorcist. The film stars Gregory Peck, David Warner, and Lee Remick. It was the fifth highest grossing film of 1976. And that production was cursed. Boy, was that production cursed, man. Oh, yeah. Definitely. A lot, a lot of strange occurrences around the filming of that film. Whenever we, we get to that epi- movie, we'll talk all yeah, about that. Yeah, we can do a curse. whole episode oh, yeah. just on that weird shit. But in the meantime, check out Cursed Films on Shudder, where you can read all about it. <laughs> oh, is it, is it really up there? Yeah. Okay. In 1978, Donner directed Superman the movie, starring Christopher Reeve in the title role. It was a worldwide hit, projecting Reeve to international fame. Principal photography of Superman included filming of its first sequel, Superman 2. Mm-hmm. So this man was filming the sequel before he was even greenlit, along with the first film. Mm-hmm. That's so boss. Yeah, yeah. Donner filmed most of Superman 2. Although it wouldn't, expect- it, wouldn't, it wouldn't see the light of day for almost 30 years. His cut, I mean. Well, no, right, we'll get to that. Donner filmed most of Superman 2 with the expectation he would complete the sequel after the release of Superman. Despite the first film's success, Donner was fired from Superman 2 due to his rocky relationship with the film's numerous producers. Following Donner's dismissal, Marlon Brando's scenes were removed from Superman 2 and much of the film was reshot under Lester's direction. Gene Hackman refused to return for reshoots. Consequently, all the Lex Luthor scenes that appear in Superman 2 were filmed by Donner, mm-hmm. although Donner refused to be credited. Donner continued to promote his uh, 
Donner continued to promote the view that his contribution was superior to the rest of the series. Superman 2, the Richard Donner cut, was released on September 28, 2006, the same date as the DVD release of the summer film Superman Returns. Yep. This first, that's when I bought it. As yeah. a matter of fact, that's what I bought. I, got, I think I got a one-two punch of it. It's Superman 1 and Superman, it's Superman and Superman 2, the Donner cut. This version of the film features reinserted uh, Marlon Brando scenes mm-hmm. as Jor-El and relies on a minimum of footage shot by Richard Lester. Yeah, and, and a lot of sequences are played in a different order, too. From, right. what, from, from what Lester did use, they show up at different times in, in, in Donner's cut. Yeah, I'm I, sure. I, I saw Superman 2 in the theater. Um, and you can, you can tell the difference if you've, seen, if you've seen one versus the other. Other major film credits under Donner's direction over the decades include... All four lethal weapons, yep. Scrooged, The Toy, Maverick, Assassins, 16 Blocks. He was the executive producer for the famous HBO Tales from the Crypt series, and he's probably arguably best known for being the director of this episode's film, 1985's The Goonies. From all of us here at the Film Effect Podcast, thank you for all the memories, Richard Donner. Now let's go to the movies. And that we shall... If God meant to do it that way, you'd all be pissing in your faces. <laughs> this is the Goonies. Wait a minute! Steven Spielberg presents The Goonies, a Richard Donner film. Hey, Mike, the map! Whoa, you guys realize what we could do? I don't want to go on any more of your crazy Goonie adventures. Meet Mikey. I gotta go Brand. Andy. Shame, shame. Oh, come on, Brand. Slip with the tongue. That's disgusting. No, I can't even look. Mouth. Oh, I gotcha. Now get out from behind her. You're ruining the painting. You're ruining right. my job. Stephanie. Data. Booty Bangers. Ow. Guys, isn't that neat? And Chunk. Slot. They call themselves the Goonies. They've stumbled onto a legend, but they're not alone. Chunk, I hope that was your stomach. No. That's the it. Sounds like Kong. Discover what they uncover. The Lost Map. Oh, started the tunnel. The Secret Caves. All those little creatures that multiply when you throw water on them. Take the oath. Join the adventure. As Steven Spielberg presents The Goonies. A Richard Donner film. In the Goonies, the kids who live in the Goon Docks neighborhood of Astoria, Oregon, attempt to save their homes from foreclosure and, in doing so, they discover an old treasure map that takes them on an adventure to unearth the long-lost fortune of One-Eyed Willie, a legendary 17th century pirate during the adventure, they are chased by a family of criminals who want the treasure for themselves. All right, it's so first-time viewings. Uh, it's, it's just that 
You see, this is actually uh, my, my first time. No, no, my first. It's my first time uh, since my first time. So technically, that's my second time. And I don't, I don't, I don't want to suck at it. So if I'm not up to, uh, I'll give you three guesses. You went the Golden Rain. Damn right I did. I think my dad told me to see it uh, shortly after it opened. It was one of our you know weekend visitations or whatever. So that was our movie for the weekend. Yeah, I was. Yeah, I would have been about 10, 11 years old at the time. Did you guys and, have like a house around the corner from this mall? I mean, yeah, but it was shit. it was the local it was the it was the local uh, theater back then until you know North Point opened up and you know we would kind of bounce between them and then North Point eventually became like the B run dollar movies. So until White Marsh opened up, you wanted to see a first run, you were going to Golden Ring Mall. So I saw a lot of my movies at Golden Ring Mall. And I saw the Goonies in the theater there with my father. Very good. You know, hard to pinpoint the first time for me, but I do know that I was with my cousins when we watched this a hell of a lot on VHS and HBO. Yeah, I'll bet, man. It was weird for how old were you? We've been about my age, about 10 or 11, 12. Oh, this came out when I was one. I, I know. I'm saying when I got you first into it. Saw it I got into it when I was like three or four. Oh, really? Oh, oh yeah. Okay. I was, okay. I was so, young. Well, yeah, you would have had an earlier opportunity. I mean, we'd I did, watch obviously. this thing every single time I'd go over there to stay for the weekend. But you got to figure, like, I again, we talked about this before with, I think, with, with Point Break, where I was at Target Generation at that time. Again, I was the Target Generation for this, too. I was, you know. Ten-year-old kid, what ten-year-old kid don't want to go on a on a pirate treasure hunt with his buddies? You know, yeah. sneaking out on a rainy Saturday afternoon. So it was it was nothing but gangbusters for me. I had a fucking hoot with that film. I think after that, I wanted to I wanted to go on a goondocks hunt with my buddies myself. Nice, nice. All right, so story time. Tell me a story. Wait, like my story? No, not your story. A story. Since you can't keep your mouth shut long enough for me to read my paper, tell me a story. I don't think I know any stories. You don't know any stories? No. All right, I'll tell you a story. This is a newspaper, right? It's 90% bullshit, but it's entertaining. That's why I read it, because it entertains me. You won't let me read it. So you entertain me with your bullshit. Tell me a story right now. Go. So there was a Goonies 2 on Nintendo. Did you know about this? I re- I remember there being a Goonies video game. I don't I don't can't say I, I always thought it. I didn't know that they did a they did two Goonies video games. Well, it fucked with my head because it came out the <laughs> coincide you think that with they the made movie. a sequel and there was a movie yes. to go along with. My four year old ass is like, "Where's this movie? Right. I'm Why playing I the game. Goonies you know? too. I don't want to play the game. I want to see the movie." So that's that's like the story. For years, I swore there was a Goonies too because what the hell was the premise? They of the made game? a Nintendo. The same thing. They re- rehashed the first film. The 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 uh, Fratelli's got bust out of prison, and there's another. They got to do something involving One Eyed Willie. I I don't remember the details. So they just went right back to the well and went on. They a, just recycled the first hunt. film all over okay. again. Yeah, okay. new adventure, escaping from the Fratelli's again. Because nah. you know it's Hollywood. You know in sequels they always got to get out of prison. They always <laughs> escape from of prison course. in a sequel. Of course. I mean, Christ, he escaped from prison beginning of the original. Look at Harry and Marv. Yeah, exactly. In this one. Jesus. So, yeah, that's that's. All right. So live top five. Rob, it's your turn. OK, I feel kind of basic today. Top five side ones. Track ones. Janie Jones, Clash from The Clash. Mm. Let's get it on. Marvin Gaye from Let's Get It On. 
Nirvana smells like teen spirit off of Nevermind. Oh, no, Rob, that's not obvious enough. Not at all. How about uh, Point of No Return on Point of No Return? Lewis, so you can uh, get up a... Shut up, shut up. <laughs> white Light, White Heat, Velvet Underground. Okay, that would be on my list. Though not and on mine. Massive Attack, No Protection. The song is Radiation oh. Ruling the Nation. So, with this being all about Richard Donner, top five Richard Donner films, and go. Um... It was hard for me to narrow it down because I've liked a lot of guys' work. Um, obviously, we talked about both Superman movies. Neither one of those made the list because I, was, I wasn't trying to be like obscure, but I didn't want to go for the obvious either. So, I, so believe it or not, I got no Supermans. I got no Lethal Weapons. Huh. Um, number five. Now I'm very curious. Okay, number five, The Omen. Okay. Uh, movie scared the bejesus out of me when I was little. You know, as much as I love The Omen, I prefer Damien The Omen Part 2. Now, I haven't seen that in some time. Um, Ant Hendrickson. I know Henderson film in military school. Right. I knew he goes in military school because the third one is where Sam Neill plays him growing up as like a politician. He's the president. Right. Oh, he's a president. Okay. Um, so yeah, Erwin. Um, I actually put Maverick at number four. I like, even though I was arguing whether or not I wanted to put it as my number five. Um, I'll get to mine, obviously. Ma- Maverick's just, it's just fun for me. I mean, I remember my grandfather was a big Western fan, so he used to watch the TV show. So I kind of knew about, you know, the story of Brett Maverick. But it's literally, it's a good, fun action comedy. Product of its time, what, mid-90s, I believe, you know. Product um, of its time, it's a Western. What I'm saying is 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 <laughs> the, the way the story's told is a product oh, of its okay, time. Okay. It's, it's, it's got the action set pieces, but there's a lot of humor in there. In fact, well, I think my favorite bit is the Danny Glover cameo during the bank robbery yeah, where, where him, and Matt, him and Mel Gibson kind of... remember the film by is that cameo. I'm so, okay, yeah, because they, 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 they kind of lock eyes yeah. and it's like a little inside joke for the for the fans of the Lethal Weapon franchise, uh-huh. so that was cool. It's a cute joke. Um, number three is going to be The Toy because I remember seeing that in the theater and I just thought it was, I thought it was wow. hot shit getting to see Richard Pryor in the movies. You know, the toy is just, it's just downright hysterical to me. It's it not aged well at all. It's, I still find it funny, man. I mean, granted, Pryor's got to rein it in because he's doing a PG movie, but, you know, especially his interactions with Jackie Gleason. Um, but that film holds, it's just, I, I get was, nostalgia. It's, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, and it's that a, was, that was one that, that our buddy Kahuna, me, me and Kahuna went with his dad. Uh, his dad took us to go see it and we just, we loved it. We just loved that film. Um, I have Goonies at number two. Because my number one is going to be Scrooged. I just, you know, that's my go-to Christmas movie, man. I just love, I just, I love that. That's my favorite telling of the, uh, the Christmas Carol. You right. Know, it's right. just, again, most of these I saw in the well, with the exception of, you know, Omen and Maverick. The rest of these I saw in the theater. So yeah, there's a bit of a bias and nostalgia thing there for me. Okay. But, those, those, those are my top five for Richard Donner. My number five is Assassins. Fuck you. <laughs> Not you specifically. <laughs> those of you who are like, what, Assassins? Yes, I said Assassins. My number is five. Stallone and Banderas. Hell yeah. And oh, William Moore. Um, I don't know, man. It's it's just something about that movie. Maybe nostalgia. Maybe I haven't watched it in a handful of years. But I remember watching it, I don't know, within the last five years and thinking, eh, it holds up. It's fine. So, yeah, Assassins. I'll say it again, Assassins. Number four, The Omen, because it's The Omen. <laughs> it's 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 not the best of this series, which I already said I, I prefer the second one to this, but still enjoyable. Number three is Scrooged. 
had to put screws on there. Um, I don't hold sentimental attachment to it like you do. Um, but it's still, you know, a top five easily. Still have fun with it. It's one of those go-to wa must-watches during the holiday season. Number two, Lethal Weapon. I had to put Lethal Weapon on here. Um, as, as, as much as I'm vocal about part two, I still love the first one. So, you know, maybe I'm getting too old for this shit. Maybe not. And number one, The Goonies. I, we're about to go into about a whole episode as to why. So, it, I, I love this film. I really, really do. So, that's our top five for the week. Check back next week for a new top five. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's get down to it, shall we? Right. Here we go! Alright, so the film opens with a 3D skull and crossbones that zooms through the eye and then pulls out to reveal the skull being the dot and the letter I for the Goonies title card. So we got Jake Fratelli here escaping from jail via hanging. Um, so the guard comes in and he's got this like pipe propped up on his back. And it's like he's it's he's giving off the illusion that he's hung himself and like the guard comes in. He's got a note on his chest. What the hell does the note say? I didn't write down what the note uh, said. To whom it may concern, you stupid schmuck, you really think I'd kill myself? Yeah, okay. As soon as the guard reads it, you know, Jake Fratelli knocks him right out and he just, and that's when it's revealed. He lifts himself up and he's been supporting himself on, on the, the jail bars by a piece of like plumbing, like a, like a J shaped. So like a J shaped pipe. J shaped pipe that was hold that was supporting his weight. So it looked like he was actually hanging up three feet off the ground so and he just grabs his he grabs his street clothes and he walks you know, right out of jail walks right out Doors of jail wide open waiting for him to come out right meanwhile his brother francis is pouring gasoline all over the place. joey pants man joe, joe pants we're gonna get to him in a second and then we got uh mama francis as the driver the getaway driver so like i said francis is pouring the gasoline Jake runs out. Jake Jake casually walks out, gets in. Well, he tries to get in. The the, the, the back door won't open or it's yeah, locked. And friends are arguing like, let go of the handle. I'm not yeah. holding the handle. Yeah, it's a stupid little. And Jake's got to dive in the sunroof and crawl in so, the back. Yeah, because the cops come out. Meanwhile, Francis sets a blaze, like a fire that surrounds the jailhouse. The, the world's smallest jailhouse, might I add. Yeah. By firing at gasoline. Does that it's, work? Uh, it doesn't work at all, but it's been done in the movies in the past. So yeah, he just shoots <laughs> a gun at the ground. It's different. And it ignites a U-shaped, you know, border around the entrance. That they, you they know, because the cops can't fire. just jump through it. Right. So they, and they just, they, they pull off in a SUV. So we got Jake, Francis, and Mama. The Fratellis. We yep. got start with Jake, Robert Davi, Robert Davi, Robert Davi. Um, it's funny because growing up, I always pronounce his name Robert Davi. <laughs> I always I Robert Davi. It's, it's pronounced Davi, right? Yeah, it's I, 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 it's Davi. Growing up, I've learned oh, it's it's Davi. The more that's, I hear <laughs> the name out loud from other people, I always hear it uh, pronounced Davi. Yeah, that's how I've always pronounced. Um, and man, like he just—we always talk about you know profile character actors is there a big 80s film that doesn't feature robert De i mean he just had that creepy look with the you know the kind of like you know the, the the deep dark eyes and the you know slightly pockmarked face you know he was a go-to i mean i feel like heavy henchman villain directors got him for the sake of getting him in their movie for a throwaway scene i'm looking at you predator too he's <laughs> yeah. literally in it for one scene in the in the in the um at at 
at the office or whatever, and that's it. You never see him again throughout the whole rest of the movie. Um, of course, he was in the Maniac Cop second and third one, not the first. That was Bruce Campbell. I was going to say Bruce Campbell. He popped up for part two and part three. Um, where are you at in the Maniac Cop franchise? I haven't seen them in a long time. I rewatched um, all three on Shutter in the last year. Yeah, I haven't the pandemic, seen them. I haven't, in fact, I forgot Bruce Campbell did the first one because I always had Robert Davi in mind from it. Um, obviously, you know, your main, the cop itself was played by Robert Zadar because that guy got cast just because of his weird chin. Yeah. You know, I mean, he, you talk about, you know, the f- battle of the chins would be <laughs> Maniac Cop 1, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Um, but I, it's, it's been, I'm so far removed. I'm talking 30 years from the Maniac Cop franchise that I really can't even speak on those right now. Gotcha. Gotcha. It's okay. I mean, he still pops up in work. The last thing I saw him in was, um, did you ever see the Iceman with Michael Shannon? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually enjoyed that. The story about Richard Kuklinski. Yeah, him, I, that, and um, I remember seeing him in The Expendables Three. Because uh, I, why not? See, I, I didn't see the third one. Uh, I forgot he was in Iceman. Who do you play in Iceman? Leo Merckx. Do you like one of his handlers or something? Yeah, he's like a big. He's like a big wig in that movie. Okay, I haven't kind of seen it. One in of the guys that contrasts Kuklinski for for work. Or yeah, whatever. based on um, Anthony Gaggi. Okay. So, Joey Pants as oh, yeah. Francis, the famous boy. Joey Pants Lingano. That's my boy. We love Joey Pants here at the Film Effect. We oh, were yeah. big fan, big fans of Joey Pants. Um, what's your favorite Joey Pants? Oh, come on, what, man! What do you think I'm going to say? What role? Do, what 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 movie do I do? Do we do I talk about at least every other episode? Yeah, Running Scared. Damn right, Snake and Running Scared, man. That's I don't know why I just like him Snake and Running Scared. Ah. Uh, it's so hard for me to say it's, here he's got so many point. Out there, man, you know. Because I am, you but know, yeah, call it cliche, but I do love him as Captain Howard in the Bad Boys franchise. He's like the best part mm. of those movies. Yeah. He really Again, is. Again, it's a bit of a cliche role, but yeah. Yeah. No, naturally. Yeah. If I, 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 Cypher in the Matrix as well. I knew, I, I knew this was going to come up, so I, I took my opportunity to throw Rummy Scared in this week. Because you all know how much I love that one. Yeah, and he just continues to pour out work, you know, the, as far back as the Goonies. I mean, he was doing films. I remember he was in Risky Business, mm-hmm. you know. Guido the Pimp. He's been doing shit for a long time, mm-hmm. so. Had a nice little role in The Sopranos for a while there. Yeah, Sopranos. Ralphie Cifaretta. Yeah. He was a motherfucker on yeah, that show. He, was, <laughs> he definitely got his, uh, yeah, he yeah, definitely yeah. got his in the end. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Ralphie was a motherfucker. And then rounding out the trio, we have the late Ann Ramsey as Mama Fratelli. Yeah. Of course, we're going to go to Mrs. Lift and throw Mama from the train. Yeah. Um, I mean, it... it she was, again, a character actress for her time. Yeah, she was character her, actress. I'm her speechless. looks and her voice. Um, you know, she always gave me the willies as a kid. I remember I'm sure she's her. A sweet lady. She would have been a sweet lady, but... I remember her yeah. from this, obviously. I do remember, I do remember her from... Um, what I just mentioned from off from the train, uh, and so, the th- and the third movie was um, Deadly Friend West. Craven. I was going to say I was trying to think of a the name. The most of used it. gif I've ever seen in my life on the internet is the, the scene with her death. Her death, the uh, the basketball it gets thrown to her head and explodes. Uh, yeah, I was I I remember renting that on VHS, and I was trying to think of the name of it. When we were talking about Ann Ramsey, but I could not remember Deadly Friend, and I thought she was in that. She was like the the the, the nagging neighbor. The neighbor. Okay, okay. I'm pretty sure that's what she was. I haven't I seen so. that since I was a kid. Right. 
I just remember that death scene. Because <clears throat> between that and the exploding scanner's head, I don't know what's the, the more used GIF on the internet. I don't, think I've, been, I don't think I've seen the Ann Ramsey basketball uh, GIF. Oh, I've, I've seen that on uh, forums. Uh, that are, at least they used to be out there. So... But yeah, that's that's Anne Ramsey in a nutshell. Other than those three roles, she's been doing a lot of just minor TV work. Character actor. She's just a character actor for the most part, who is well known for that raspy voice and Yeah, it was her it was her look that propelled. The star of a movie called Throw Mama from the Train, so you know Owen. Yeah. Owen loves his mama. <laughs> I forgot about that scene, Jesus. Yeah, Owen loves his mama. We gotta clean out her fucking ear and shit. Ugh. So with the car chase through town, set to the opening credits, highlights we see here include Mouth turning off an action movie, but still hearing the sounds of the chase, Stephanie bobbing for lobsters. Yeah, what the fuck is she bobbing? She's bobbing for crabs I've never understood in a damn that. trash can. I've never understood that. I, mean, I don't get that either, man. It must be an organ thing. Wow. Um, data trying to... Trying out a new gadget that grows awry. Uh, Chunk at the eatery getting excited about the uh, the chase. And he slams his milkshake and sl- pizza slice on the yep. damn window. Yeah, he goes, oh, shit. shit. Yeah, he's a foul-mouthed little fat kid, ain't yeah, he? Yeah, they all are. <laughs> uh, and then the, the gang losing them uh, at a... Like a Jay, uh, like yeah, how, conven- how convenient is that? They, you know, she just happens that they time it to where she can just like literally show up at the start of an of of a uh, of a beachside SUV race, beach race machina, uh, right? So, and I made a little note here about the score because it's simple, but I just remember the score, like the, that the opening piano, up tempo, like. Synth, like I don't know, Dave Grusin scored for this film's, uh, in my opinion, pretty memorable, and I've always dug it. It's simple, so. And then we're uh, at Mikey's house, and we're introduced to Mikey, played by Sean Astin, yeah. who I'm willing to bet everyone remembers him from. If it isn't this, it's Lord of the Rings. Um, is it Sam? Sam Wise Game. Sam. And he was Rudy. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And then he popped up in a bunch of Adam Sandler films, like 50 First Dates and Click. And yeah. Um, he, was, uh, what, doctor, he was uh, Dr. Bob in season two of Stranger Things, right? That's right. Dr. Bob. Yeah. But for my money, Dave from Encino Man. That's oh, yeah. Him and Paul Shore, man. That's right. That's Love right. me some Encino Man. Well, he, he, also, he also shows up in War of the Roses. As one of the as as um one of their one of their kids. Oh, that's right. That was like I think that was the first time I remember seeing him after the Goonies. I'm like, oh wow, that's a little Mike. That's right. You know, because you know, Lord of the Rings wasn't out yet. None of that other stuff was out yet. But yeah, I we're saw, still in the eighties. Yeah, yeah. So he shows up. He shows up. You know, towards a, about the halfway mark. What a dark it? ending in that movie. That's uh, yeah. That was definitely kind of fitting, but dark. Yeah, it was, it was a very dark comedy. It was Devito's directorial debut. Yeah, if I'm not yeah, mistaken. It was. It was. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Good movie. Check it mm-hmm. out if you guys can. Mm-hmm. War of the Roses. Um. And then we got. So he's uh, with his older brother. Yeah, Brand. Brand, short for Brandon, played by 
Josh Brolin. Josh Brolin. Where do we know Josh Brolin from? Ah, uh, man, that guy had that. We know him. Well, it's obviously it's Thanos from Come on, Avengers, Snap out of it. But I mean, he had he had a he had that resurgence right around New Country for Old Man, and that's where what I wanted to focus on singles. that resurgence because he had a he was you know he was hitting them back to back with that you know he had American Gangster. Um, but milk. he did this in Thrashing, and it kind of went away. Right, his careers have like spurts of like nothingness. Goonies and Thrashing, and then really nothing. And then he popped up in the late nineties and minor stuff like Mimic. I remember seeing. I was going to say he did. See, he did some like uh, Nightwatch, not, not necessarily direct the video. Yeah, Nightwatch. I remember Nightwatch. That was a remake. I was yeah, Ewan McGregor. That's a good film. Um, <laughs> the Mod Squad. Ooh. And then Hollow was- Man. And I, to me, Hollow Man was kind of that. Well, no, because he didn't really do shit after that. He didn't. Yeah, nineties, two thousand seven. Grindhouse, in the Valley of a lot of Ela, um, No Country for Old Men, the American Gangster, Milk. That was the following year. W Milk. Oh yeah, he played. Yeah, he he did a hell of a you know he did a hell of a job in W too. Cut the two thousand ten. Jonah Hex, okay. Yeah, right. But that wasn't his fault. No. True Grit. Wall Street, Money Never Sleeps. And then he came back a couple years, and then two years later, Men in Black 3, which should have came out before it did. So we might as well consider that a 2010 film. I've said, never even seen that. Men in Black 3, you can talk about the production of that film all on an episode in its own. They were still it, like writing it on set while they were filming. Yeah, and that, that movie, they filmed that movie for he plays years. Like, he plays like the young version of Tommy Lee Jones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, you know, American Gangsta, I mean, I'm sorry, Gangster Squad, Old Boy. Ugh. <sighs> What? Old boy, old boy, old boy. What the fuck, Josh? Yeah, I'm man. still waiting for an apology for that movie. For real, man. They fucked that whole thing up, man. I mean, that I was... I watch a lot of that was movies. That was Spike right there. And I don't like talking ill about Spike, because I'll have my fucking nuts. But, come on, Spike. What the fuck were you thinking Completely tweaked that ending and just, I mean... Alright, so guys listening to this, go to YouTube. There's a... There's a um, a YouTuber, his, um, just search this, yourmoviesucks.org, all one word. It's, it's a channel, and he did a video. This guy, he's a Canadian, um, I forgot his name, but he did a video on this, old boy. And it's like an hour and a half long, a documentary on just everything he fucked up. He compared <laughs> it to 90 minutes on how bad it, the move was. But he compared it to the 2003 original film and, like, talked about, like, how this, you know, how the, the original film just displayed the, the, the meaning of what it's supposed to be. It got its message across a lot right. better than, and then he compared it to Old Boy and how Spike Lee just, like, cut things and, yeah, he and just, just made, he really careless. missed the mark and then he had like he inserted like clips of like spike d spike d spike lee from like the marketing uh, the, the from the the promotion junk the, the market junk press junk when he's like just talking about how amazing and out of this you're out of your seat you're going to be watching this movie and shit it's just like and it, no. how is his interpretation is going to be like everything like he has a message for this film and i'm like you really don't, because this movie's garbage. It's utter bad. garbage, and I've seen some pretty bad remakes. And he 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 tries to keep the ending on par with the original with Shaw, excuse me, Shaw Copley's character, 
But yep. it's just, again, he he aimed high and missed that bullseye, man. So what I'm getting at, though, I'm not going to keep going down his career, is like, he's never stopped. Once he, still, once he came back in 2007, he just hit the ground running and never stopped, never looked back. Yeah, and he's had some peace and valleys. To this day, he's still like churning out quality work. He's married to Diane Lane for a good while. Yeah, he was. Um, so yeah, that's that. Um, so him and Mikey are talking about their home and how they're going to miss it before we're introduced to Mouth. Let's have the Coy Feldman conversation because <laughs> Coy Feldman's playing Mouth, who kind of famously badmouths this movie. Does he really? Not really famously. Maybe that's a bad word to describe it, but he, he badmouths this because it's this, this movie is the reason he wasn't in Fire 13th Part 5. Oh, see, so he was supposed to reprise Tommy Jarvis, yeah. but, but Jarvis- instead he's in the opening, like he's in a dream sequence in the right, film stars. Right. But it's like they literally came to set and filmed that in his backyard while he was still filming the Goonies, because you know Steven Spielberg had him do a contract to do a bunch of films, right. Kremlins, this, wherever else he did. This did way more for his career than Part Five ever would have did. Part Five is one of I the know, least but memorable, he's, exactly. And yeah. not to mention that, that I guess they had to rewrite the character when they had to recast him because he would have been way too young. To yeah, because John Shepard replaced him. Yeah, he would have been way too young to play the character the way he's the way he's portrayed. portrayed yeah, obviously, there wouldn't have been a flash forward. You know, there wouldn't have been a time jump. Of course, right? You know, right. it would have been like a, it would. It, I guess it would have been a completely different story. Than just him going to like the work farm or whatever the hell it's set with, and that was yeah. that was another disappointment. Because he says too. he says on Camp, the Crystal Lake Memories documentary, he was like, you know, I was in a little, I was supposed to be in Friday the Thirteenth Part Five, but then a little known filmmaker named Steven Spielberg came along and fucked it all up. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'd have rather been part of fucking Goonies in Friday the Thirteenth Part Five, to be honest with you. So that's Corey Feldman here, uh, Corey Feldman. Um, God, it, it, when you think about him, it's it's hard not to think about him and Corey Haim and the Corys. You well, know? They, I mean, they, you couldn't escape those guys in the 80s between License to Drive, Dream of Old Dream. You got a favorite Corey Feldman film? Mm-hmm. I knew you. Yeah, I'm going to go Lost Boys, man, hands down. Oh, I was going to say, you're a national infamous last resort kind of oh, guy, fuck aren't no. you? <laughs> once, once, once... Um, well, Doug Kenny has passed, but once National Lampoon had to sell that that name off just to recover from bankruptcy, they just took that name and ran it into the fucking ground. It doesn't hold the same meaning it used to in the sixties, seventies, and eighties. So no, nothing National Lampoon related beyond you know the mid eighties for me. Did you say Lost Boys? Uh, yeah, yeah. Just because I don't know, I, I fucking love that film too, and you know he's yeah. He was one of my favorite parts in Lost Boys. Him and Kiefer Sutherland. I've never been asked this question before. If someone asked me, hey, what's your favorite Corey Feldman movie? I'd probably say Friday the 13th, Final Chapter. Yeah, I mean, Final Chapter is one of my all-time favorites in the whole franchise. Probably yeah. maybe the second one, number two after the first one. Because I just, I don't know, I, I, I dug it. I found it more accessible. That's the one with Crispin Glover, right? Yeah. 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 And that dance. Him yeah. Is, him He's doing moves. a weird dance in front of the, the, the film projector. Um. But I do love me some license to drive. Yeah, yes, I remember, I saw that in the theater. I had fun with that. I saw that one in Northpoint, as a matter of fact. Nice. So yeah, um, so Mouth comes in, says it's their last weekend together, and that they need to be out living their lives before we hear Chunk yelling from outside and wants to come in. But at first, 
Something's got to do the truffle shuffle. Yeah, Mouth makes him do the truffle shuffle before he opens the gate. And he opens the gate with that fucked up Rube That Rube Goldberg, Goldberg machine. <clears throat> like, it, it's, it's this little, movie should have been self, this should have been called Rube Goldberg the movie. Yeah, there's at least two or three, three, three Rube Goldberg sequences in the film. But yeah, like, I, I like watching it. I, I get it. It's fun. It's a neat visual gimmick. But then last night I'm watching it. It worked. As a kid, I was loving that. Right. It would have been, and I, you know, I get it. You know, there's probably something that that the Goonies would have did on a weekend project just to have fun and, and, and mom, pa Walsh just let them do this fucked up shit in the yard. Yeah. You know, but honestly, it would have taken less time to walk down the steps and open the fucking gate than it would be to release the bowling ball, make the chicken squawk to turn on the sprinklers. (laughs) Should we try, um, Chunk tries telling them about the car chase that just happened, but no one believes him based on his old tales that he likes to tell. Yeah, Never Michael Jackson came to use the bathroom once. Yeah. So then um, we're introduced to Data, who zip lines over to Mikey, but ends up going through the screen door Crash instead. Crashes right through the screen door while he's playing while he's playing the uh, the James Bond theme. Yeah, and that's gonna be that's gonna be a, a thing in this movie. Is like him and his his uh, gadgets end up not working. Right. Sometimes they do. But for the most part, they end up yeah, failing. A couple times they save his ass. Yeah. So Mikey and Brand's mother, her favorite piece gets broken off. Dana's played by Key High Kwan. Yeah, from uh, Temple of Doom. Yeah, yeah, short round. Mm-hmm. Didn't have the the, the career that... Uh, um, Getty Watanabe? Getty Watanabe had. <laughs> I had a feeling you were going there. But, you know... They can't be all. They 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 can't all be winners. You can, you they they all can't be leading roles in Vamp. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Brand's mother's favorite piece gets broken off a statue in the process. It's a uh, naked naked dude, little little Wiener. His, his penis gets broken yeah, off. Yeah, chunk, chunk knocks it off the uh, off the coffee table. Yeah, and the little Wiener breaks off the uh, the, the the miniature. So they're gonna super glue it back on. Ends up. Super glued it upside down. God made us like that. You don't know, be pissing in your faces. <laughs> I love that line. <laughs> so Dada asked the gang if they've ever heard of Detroit. And this is when the major problem overlooking the plot is brought up. All the homes in the Goondocks area of Astoria, Oregon are going in foreclosure to an expanding country club. Mikey's dad is the holdout. Everyone else had already sold, but a golf course is an all or nothing kind of thing. So is that the case that that that, that Mr. Walsh hadn't signed the document yeah. yet? Everybody he's, everybody else Yeah, that's why the guys come off. see him. That's why at the end right, but I thought on the I was, beach. I was like how is this how is this museum curator in charge of all these other people's homes? Right. I didn't realize that everybody but Mr. Walsh had already signed. So all their parents have already signed off on it. It's reluctant. A, all or nothing. You cannot have one of you can't have a house sitting in the middle of the 14th hole. Right. Um Troy's dad owned the bank that had Mikey's dad, Mikey's dad's mortgage. Mikey's dad had a fallen behind. The jewels were probably enough to pay off his mortgage and convince the other Goonies' parents to sell off to Mikey's dad instead of Troy's. Mikey and Rand's mom comes home with the new nanny, Rosalita, who is helping her with her arm, or helping her out with uh, the house until her arm is better. Her arm's in a sling. Don't, don't really go into detail what happened or what's wrong with it. Nah, you just know that mom got, got a sling. Right. Played by the late Mary Ellen Trainer, A woman I want to have this conversation about because she is someone who everyone has seen but never talks about. I don't even know her name. No, wow. 
You know who this woman well, is. Well, now that you say it, but I didn't recognize her. Well, she was famously back in the 80s. Um, there's a reason she pops up in all these movies. She was married to Robert Zemeckis. Oh, you told, I thought you were talking about Rosalita. No. <laughs> oh, the fucking yeah, Mary Ellen Trainer. Yeah, yeah, no, she's, she's, uh, she's one of the news reporters in Die Hard, isn't she? Yeah. yeah. Die Hard, Lethal yeah. Weapon, she's a psychologist. Yeah, yeah. The Monster Squad. That's right. That's right. Scrooge. So I did recognize. She's in all the Lethal Weapons. Um, She's also got a wee bit part as an officer, uncredited. Back to the Future Part Two, Death Becomes. She's in everything. Okay, um, I, I love this woman. Uh, I miss her. She, uh, she's been she passed away in 2015. Uh, had dealing with um, pancreatic cancer. Man, it gets the best of them, doesn't it? Yeah, I know. Bill Hicks, Patrick Swayze, but this. Forgot she was in Ghostbusters too. Mm. She's in all the big ones, man. Yeah, love this woman and her career. So yeah, the the woman who plays Mama Walsh, she's yeah, she's a big deal. So chances are, yes, you have seen her before. She is definitely of that woman. All right, so Rosalita doesn't speak a lick of English, but Mouth says he speaks perfect Spanish and <laughs> volunteers to help translate. While Brand's mom gives her a tour of the house. He tells her things like, never go up there, referring to the attic. It's filled with Mr. Walsh's sexual torture devices. And my favorite, the mono- the marijuana goes in the top drawer, the cocaine and speed go in the second drawer, and the heroin goes in the bottom drawer. Always separate the drugs. <laughs> she also says that she wants the house perfectly clean for when they tear it down. What, what the, the fuck? fuck? I never noticed that line before until I watched it this Yeah, I this want the house perfectly like, clean when it comes to tear Did you say down. what I think she just said? Right, who gives a shit? Man. Leave, leave your stuff in there, for Christ's sake. That doesn't sound pretentious. No. So Mikey's mom says that she's going to the store for an hour. One hour. And puts Brandon in charge. Her mouth asks what their dad's going to do with all of his stuff in the attic. Mikey says probably give it back to the museum. Gang head up to the attic to do some exploring. You find a bunch of pirate stuff, some paintings that Mouth puts his tongue into. Yeah. Come here, Maggie. Give us a nice way to look at a kiss. <laughs> Made me feel like a woman. <laughs> a couple of static orbs, and of course, one eye Willie's treasure map. Yep. Now, look, it's a map of our coastline. What's all that Spanish junk right there? Uh, who knows? Mouth, Mouth, you said you could translate. Translate right here. Yeah, translate it. Ye intruders beware. Crushing death and grief, soaked with blood of the trespassing thief. You guys, this map is old news. Everybody and their grandfather went looking for that when our parents were our age. I mean, I mean, haven't you ever heard of that guy? What, what's his name? The pirate guy, One-Eyed Willie. One-Eyed Willie. Yeah, he was the most famous pirate in his time. My dad told me all about him once. Dad'll do anything to get you to go to sleep. <laughs> no. See, One-Eyed Willie stole treasure once. It was for rubies and, and emeralds and diamonds. Diamonds. And then he loaded it all up onto a ship. And they sailed away into the sunset. Until the British king, he found out about it, and then he set up this whole armada to go out after him. And then the armada, it took him a couple weeks, but then they caught up with Willie, and, and then there was a whole big war between the armada and Willie's ship, the Inferno. And th- during the firefight, there was just guns bursting here and cannons bursting there. 
and then Willie fled because he didn't want to stay around because he knew he'd get killed if he stayed around. And then he got into this cave, and, the, and then the British, they, they blew up the walls all around him, and, and he got caved in, and he's been there ever since. Forever? Forever. And ever trapped. It's all it's it's framed. It's in a glass. It's framed, and he knows that. Um, all it takes chunk. is chunk. It's gonna take five seconds to get that fucker out of the glass. He just gets chunk to hold it. And he counts down. He counts. He's, he never chunk, him counting down before. Like he's almost on point, down. chunk drops yeah. it, and they, they're able to fish out the map and the little doubloon. The little things you never noticed before, like, like I was mentioning before, the the countdown. Yeah, where he yeah he he basically counts to himself once he gets chunked to hold it. He goes, "Hey, why me, Mike?" And then he starts having, "You got this thing over there," goes, bzz, bzz, and then he drops the picture. <laughs> so Mikey's plan is to find Willie's treasure so that they can save their homes with the money. But no one else thinks it's the best idea. That is, till a couple guys show up with paperwork for their dad to sign on so they can start demolition on all their homes. Remember, their home is the only one left that hasn't signed the foreclosure paperwork. So then we see Cindy Lauper's Goonies Are Good Enough video playing as Brand is in front of the TV stretching as the kids come in to tie him up so they can all escape. Yeah, he's using he's using one of the little arm exercises, basically like two handles on opposite ends yep. of three springs and he's stretching them across. I guess it's, you know, one of the little home workout 80s gadgets. So they, you know, and now it's like, hey, Brand, how far can you stretch those things? Yeah, yeah. And they all tackle and they tie, and shit. They, they basically tie them up to the Barker Lounger. And then this was always smart, I thought, when we out, they deflate his tires so that he can't chase them. Yeah, he the might have mowed 376 lawns for that. That's his <laughs> yeah. most favorite thing in the world. Well, now it's his most flattest thing in the world. <laughs> but I want to have a conversation right now about the impact of this song and the MTV generation at its time. So well, we're, we're in 85. This is peak MTV. Yeah, this is I, I mean, want my Don, MTV. Donner directed the video. The kids show up in the video. I remember the video being heavy rotation at, in, at the time. Captain Lou Albano is in it. There's yeah. a bunch of wrestling cameos in that video. Well, yeah, it's because, you know, he showed the up WWF, as a... WWF, you know, relationship. Yeah, well, because he, he played her dad in the... Um, oh, God, what's in the... Um, what video was that? Yeah, that was... Um, time After Time. Yes, yes. Time After Time. Yes. So she had a relationship with Captain Lou, kind of ingratiated herself in the WWF for a little and bit because this, of that. And this was the same year as WrestleMania, the first one. Oh, uh, it was, wasn't it? Which featured Cindy Lauper. I was going to say she showed up. Yeah, so somehow she got she got roped in, got tied up with WWF because she was, you know, an it pop star at that time because she had that weird look. You know, she had the, the weird haircut. It looked like a waffle iron. It hit her on the side of the head. She swapped, she swapped the I and the Y in her name. Right, right. <laughs> I mean, she's definitely quirky. She had that... I love she had a Lopper. little bit of a movie career. She did a movie Vibes with Peter Falk and, and Jeff Jack Goldblum, which was, you know, kind of an underrated B flick, in my opinion. Not as not as great as I remember, but not as bad as I thought. No, though. Um, nah, dude, this is great. Uh, yeah, I was alive in 85, technically, but I was one. I have zero memory of this this, yeah, this I, re- I remember being heavy rotation um, so i'd seen a film in a theater and then probably later on that day or sometime the next day the video came on i'm like oh cool look what it is i just saw this movie hell yeah all right so the boys take off on the bikes remember they deflated brand so we can't chase him mom comes home and releases brand but he can't go anywhere with flat tires so he takes a little bike from the girl next door it's data's little sister yeah and um Training wheels and everything. Right. It's a little girl's give a bike. Damn. Like when we say little girl, we're talking like a five-year-old. Yeah, it's a little from. five-year-old girl's bike. A 16-year-old kid's ride. So while in route, ja- um, Troy is driving with uh, Andy and Steph in the backseat. I'm not sure where Steph came from, but she's there. 
They stop and offer him a ride, but he declines. Troy grabs uh, the hand of Brand and takes off with him with his car. This causes Brand to run off the cliff into yeah, the train trees. wheels start flying yeah. off a little bicycle, and he goes flying off the cliff down towards that the bike beach. That bike would have fell apart. Like, <laughs> right. Uh, it starts to fall apart while they're driving. I don't think he would have gotten to that cliff that he flew <laughs> right. off of. But, um, yeah, just Steph's just there tagging along, I guess. So, um... She's the clinger. Of the, of well, the Troy, Troy's a bit of a creep, too, so Andy probably talked Steph into coming to hang out. True. To, you know, That's very true. I never thought about that. Yeah. Meanwhile, the boys find the restaurant that they need to get to using a skull pennant and the uh, and the map to line it up with the lighthouse and the rock yeah, and they, the ocean. They line up the lighthouse, the rock, and the and the, and the restaurant through the through the doubloon and figured so out. Mikey just happened to, to know it. That was the place, that point that they had. The and and Brand happened to know exactly where these kids were heading off to. All they said is they were going to go find one. I really stretch. Wow. It could have been anywhere in Astoria, but Brand knew to chase him through town and go down the hill. A lot of stretching going on in this movie. Right, right. Because they, they've got a good lead on Brand. They're probably good a half mile ahead. Oh, yeah, definitely. On their bikes sure. and not more. But he just kind of knew where to oh, go. For sure. Because movie's going to movie. That's right. So while approaching the restaurant, they notice the Fratellis, but mistake them for customers. Although Chunk does ask, "No, it's th- not the Fratellis that are going in there. That's that's the two FBI agents that are walking in that that are walking in that end of the restaurant at that scene." What? No. Yeah, 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 yeah. I picked that up last night. So when they're they they, they basically they're at the spot where they find, you know, the lighthouse, the rock, uh-huh. and and the restaurant, and then the you map see the says, body of the one in the freezer. Right, right. So I'll bring that up later. So when they find that, they're like, okay, we got to take a hundred steps and that should lead them to the, to the restaurant. Now, granted, that restaurant's way farther than a hundred steps, but you know, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll let the contrivance. Plot's going to plot. Right. And then they're, then they're, they duck down behind like a bunch of, you know, beat up equipment and logs and shit. And they see two people, one of which is in like a, you know, like a Columbo style trench coat. Right. Walking into the restaurant. Now, yes, originally I thought this is Fratellis, but no. These I are the, always these, thought this is Fratellis. No, no, it's not. It's, yeah, from a distance, you can maybe say, okay, that might be Jake and, and Francis. No, it's the, it's the two FBI agents that are going in there because they've obviously tracked the Fratellis from the prison break back to the restaurant. Because that's, you know, right after that, you hear gunshots. So there's two, but why... Again, I'm going to bring that up. Okay, we'll right. Get to it. Yeah, it's, right. it's two people walking in, walking in there, and the kids mistaken for customers because because Mouse like, well, this place is a summer place. I'm like, well, no, two customers just went in. All their chunk ass. What if they're drug dealers? Smart and data's boy. like data's like your drug dealers would never be wearing that that polyester shit. Yeah. So they all head into the restaurant, but Chunk discovers a hidden jeep with board holes on it in the barn. They meet the fr- I should have put that together. Hmm. That's how that should have given away right there is the fact that he finds it in the shed. He finds it in the shed. Hidden. Okay. Yep. He finds wow. it in the shed. But while wow. they're outside, they hear that they hear the gunshots. Yeah. He's like, I didn't dro- Oh, that's could, right. They could have dropped some restaurant equipment. No, that's Mama Fratelli off in the two feds. Oh my God. Okay. Yep. So the yep. um, they all Jesus. <laughs> this, that's why you that's why you bring me along. My mind's being blown right this, now. This is why you bring this. me along, buddy. So they meet the Fratellis and order a water. Uh, Chunk advises they leave or else they're gonna be, there's gonna be a hostage crisis. Mama Fratelli brings out the beer colored water. Yeah, it's nasty ass fucking water. It's wet, isn't it? <laughs> I always question what if that was beer. Yeah, right. And Mikey asks to use the bathroom. So he's told to go downstairs, but stay to the right. Right. In the basement, Mikey hears an Italian singing and finds Jake. 
bringing food to sloth, but yeah. intentionally sets it away so he can't get to it. Now who plays sloth? Um, um, John, 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 what, John, he's a football player. Matusak, John Matusak. Or was a football player. Well, he was a football player. Um, showed up. He, he passed away. Two time um, Super Bowl champion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who did he, he played for the Packers, I think, didn't he? Oilers, Texans, Oilers. Chiefs, yeah, Redskins, big, Raiders. My, my, my dad recognized, my dad knew him from the Oilers. Yeah, he shows up, um, in one of my favorite, you know, B movies of the eighties, uh, a little sci-fi spoof called the ice pirates starring robert <laughs> Urich. you ever seen the ice pirates i've been hearing about that a lot lately <laughs> don't ask me why it's 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 a spoof in the sense that it's it's not like a mel brooks or a not another team movie type spoof of those sci-fi adventures but it's definitely a big goofy space pirate adventure and matusak shows up as 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 one of the one of the good guys on robert Urich's crew that's right and he um, was stained for one crazy summer he was who? Stain in One Crazy Summer. Oh, I, for, I forgot he was in he was in One Crazy Summer. He had, you know, a handful of roles. Sloth's his most famous. And that's you know, why you bring me along. <laughs> right. Right. So yeah, like 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 Matusak was Matusak was a cool little he was like one of the first athletes to that I remember to be able to transition from, you know, sports to film. You know, right. and he always got he always got cast in like the character type parts. So we see Mikey pushing the tray of seafood to Sloth, and Sloth grabs it and scares Mikey off in the process. Oh, ha, ha, ha! Got my food! He says. He's holding it up in the air. He's yeah. shaking the platter. The Goonies, uh, they leave together and watch the Fratellis leave in their Jeep from a distance as Chunk tells them about the bullet holes. Using Chunk as an obvious ploy, they break into the restaurant in an effort to find the cave with Willie's treasure. Yeah, Mal tells him, he's like, he stands in front of the door. He's like, I got pictures of you, your naked pictures of your mom in the bathtub. I'll sell them to you real cheap. Chunk charges at him. He gets out of the way. He just slams through yeah. the door. They're like, thanks, Chunk. It's <laughs> worth mentioning Andy and Steph have suddenly joined the group now. Well, yeah, they just showed up. Yeah. Said, oh, we followed you from when, when we left Troy and followed and you down And Brand's there, too. Right. Everybody's magically come with, together outside with the restaurant. all 216 bones still intact. Right. So, or six, however many bones we have in our bodies. So, in the basement, the kids hear sloth and are spooked as they're trying to pass through. Chunk finds ice cream in a freezer with a dead body. This is when we hear the Fratellis upstairs moving around who have come back with pizza and are questioning the lights and the door well, being opened. You, you jumped over a little bit. What I, they, what they see, when the Fratellis leave... They're loading what's obviously a body wrapped in tarp into the back of the RV. They're loading body one number of, two, and one, I watched that, and I actually was going to write down where so this body comes right, from. So what didn't make sense to me is why wouldn't they take both of them, or take both with, or stash both? I in the freezer? literally started to write down in my notes where's this body come from. Yeah, that, that, I noticed the body that they're yeah, those up. are technically the guy in the fridge and the guy in the trunk of the RV are the two feds that the kids saw walk into the restaurant yeah, assuming okay. they were customers. But what doesn't make sense to me is why the Fratellis would leave one in the freezer and take one out. If they're going to go through the trouble and dispose of a body, why not dispose two in one trip? Or if they're going to stash one in the freezer, leave both of them in the fucking freezer. There was room for a second body. Maybe they want to go to two different locations. Not possibly. I don't know. So they push the corpse back, they, yeah, the corpse. They push it back into the freezer but accidentally lock Chunk inside with it. The group go down, they go down a ladder from under the log rack in the fireplace nearby that takes them down to a secret passage. Yeah, uh, the, re the reason they find out that the fireplace is that way anyways cause, is because Chunks had enough of 
mouth making fun of him and he knocks over the water cooler and they hear the water trickling down. So they realize that they're, that, that the basement goes even deeper and they find a little hidden tunnel beneath the fireplace and that's where they go down. Right. So it, wait. Ah. So meanwhile, Chunk gets out and Mikey tells him that they're in some serious shit and he needs to go get the police. Right. So Chunk sneaks out of the basement window while the rest of the group continue down the tunnel that they found. It's now dark outside and Chunk finds a road nearby through the woods and tries flagging down cars. He manages to fly down a truck that it's happens the exact to be the exact same RV. Why Chunk didn't recognize it? I guess, you know... It's either convenient or they're just playing him off to be that fucking stupid that he didn't even recognize from the beginning that that's the same damn RV he watched. He turns the light on to reveal himself as Jake, and then he starts singing that Italian more. Like, in his, yeah, I'm going to as funny yeah, as shit. Yeah, because Chunk starts per- performing like he's at his bar mitzvah. He starts singing in Hebrew, and then Jake flips the, the interior light on, and you see the reflection of Robert Davi in the side view mirror. And he starts singing opera in, a, in, in, in Italian. Yeah, yeah. It's and then they get Chunk shit. in the back of the back I think get a kick truck. out of that. Yeah. Get the kid! That seems to be the problem. Look, mister, I need a ride. My friends and I just had a run-in with these really disgusting people. You might have heard of them, the Fatellis. Well, we found their hideout. And could you please, please take me to the sheriff's station? I can describe all three of them. So they take Chunk and they put him in the back. In the group, they find a room with a ton of pipes all over the place. They start banging on them, thinking that it'll help. Giving us a montage of the water system going haywire all throughout town. Yep, Troy's on the shitter. He gets blasted off the shitter at the country club. So things start getting a little bit leaky and a bit shaky. And then we hear reverse pressure as the pipes start to really burst, sending the group further into their journey. And you're right, Troy gets knocked out. He's like, Daddy! Cries out for Daddy. Troy's a little fucking weasel. So the Fatalis are getting Chunk to talk, but instead he starts rambling about his childhood. And I mean rambling. Yeah, they're like, tell us everything. And he goes and he back goes to the very on. beginning. He pushed his sister down the steps when he was in fifth grade. So the group's now further into the caves. Andy's being very frantic, having like an anxiety panic attack ordeal. They discover a rotten skeleton. Meanwhile, Chunk is still rambling about being kicked out of school to the Fatalis. Then we see the the group discover the skeleton belongs to Chester Copperpot. As we and I always get this name confused because Oswald Copperpot. Oswald Copperpot. I always fucking yeah. did the Chester two names. Copperpot. And what we didn't mention is when the kids were in the attic after they find the map, they find a news article from I think the mid thirties of you know Chester Copperpot, you know treasure hunter, claims he has the key to One Eyed Willie, but his sense gone missing. And then, so that was your little foreshadowing to them finding him now. And what they find, when he said he had the key to One-Eyed Willie, be damned if he didn't. He's got like a a stone key around his neck that Mikey takes off his neck. That we'll find out what it does in a little while. So, yeah, they're doing all that. As we see Data setting up booby traps. That's what I said, booty traps. Mikey accidentally sets off the first of many Rube Goldberg traps that Mm -hmm. involves falling boulders. But everyone gets out in time. Bran, he hears sound behind the large rock that he thinks is people or something. He moves it. Turns out it's bats. Then attack the group. 
and uh, Steph just tells, just yells rabies and rabies all over, over, and right? Over. Rabies, right. rabies, over and over. Meanwhile, Chunk's still telling the Fratellis one hell of a childhood story until they start pushing his hand into a He's blender. He's talking about making up fake puke and throwing it off the yeah, balcony yeah. of a fucking movie theater. Um, so yeah, uh, Bat Machina. They come out, they burst from the fireplace. Yeah, Bat Machina. Yeah, right. Prompts the Fratellis to go after them. And that's when the Fratellis realize there is a tunnel beneath the fireplace and they go down there. They, they leave Tunnel with Sloth. Yeah, they, they lock him in a room with Sloth. Meanwhile, the group discovers a waterfall in the cave, full of coins all over. All the kids start talking, uh, they start taking the coins when it's discovered that it's the bottom of the town wishing well. So Steph drops them, saying that there's someone else's wishes and dreams. Mouse says that this is his coin, the one that he has in his hand, that it's his dream that never came through, so he's taking it back. Yeah, but you know what? This one. This one right here. This was my dream, my wish. And it didn't come true. So I'm taking it back. I'm taking them all back. Now, one thing I want to mention about the, this scene, I just read something the other day because I was reading an interview with, with Corey Feldman, and I'm sure you remember, I'm sure most of the audience remembers, there was a good, good long while there where he was kind of linked to Michael Jackson, was even mimicking his look and stuff like that with the fedora and the way he did his hair and his dance moves and right, stuff. Right, I remember that. Well, the day they filmed this scene was the day that Richard Donner got Michael Jackson to agree to come visit the set. And all the kids were ecstatic about getting to meet Michael Jackson, but none more so than Corey Feldman. Oh, I bet. Which is why he's like delivers a little bit more in this scene than he does in anything else. Cause right in any other, because right before they call action. And it does stand out. He's very dramatic in right, the scene out of right, nowhere. Right. Because, and it's because right before they started shooting the scene, Donner pulled him aside and he told, pulled the kids aside. It's like, guys, guess who's coming to visit today? Michael Jackson. So now they were all like, they were firing on all cylinders. They were ramped up. They were getting ready. They were going to meet the King of Pop in a right. while. And there's photos of all of them together. You know, when Jackson did visit the set, Sean Aston tells a story about yeah, Michael Jackson right. calling him when he had to, you know, leave, leave set for a couple of days. He couldn't film because he was sick and Michael Jackson called him at home. And, uh, but yeah, there that was, he did. The, the day that they filmed the, the wishing well scene was the day Michael Jackson came to visit the cast and crew of the Goonies. And that's why you see Feldman kind of deliver a little better because he was so ramped about meeting the guy. And it shows. And if you read recent yeah, interviews shows. with him, like he originally defended Michael Jackson after that whole Finding Neverland documentary came out, but he since recanted recently. Like, um, now that I look back on it, I believe Michael was grooming me, even though nothing ever happened. But if you remember, like, towards his early 30s and stuff, Corey Feldman was showing up on, like, the Howard Stern show when Howard Stern used to have the, the public access show in New York and other appearances. And he was literally mimicking the Michael Jackson look with the, with the tight black yeah. pants, the fedora, you know, the dark wavy ponytail with, you know, with the little stringy mm-hmm. hair coming down, even mimicking his dance moves because they were, they were almost an inseparable pair for a good while as Corey Feldman was growing up. So that's what I wanted to mention about the filming of the, uh, the wishing well scene. Gotcha. Okay. Um, and like I said, it makes sense because it's definitely a standout moment. It's like, he's acting a little more dramatic than he is. Yeah, and that's what it was. Like the, the, the MJ's visit to the set 
gotcha. encouraged by Donner and Spielberg. Spruce it up and make him right. Yeah. In fact, if I'm not mistaken, I think it was around the time that 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 Spielberg's production company had worked on the whole Captain EO thing that used to be a part of Epcot back in the eighties. Captain EO rules. You know, I saw it the one time I went to went to Disney I saw went to it Epcot 3D. for a day, and yeah, I, 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 saw I saw the Captain. I EO saw it in three D. Scared the yeah. shit out of me. I was five years old. Yeah, it was. It was kind of wild. My man, Jockey Houston, and the tentacles whipping at you. I know, it was, it was crazy. So scary. It was, I, I remember little bits about it, but uh, but yeah, there was. I think that's how he was able to like come visit because Amblin or I don't think DreamWorks even existed. At the time, no, but Amblin didn't. had a hand in producing the whole Captain EO thing for Disney, yeah. and that's how they, you know they were able to get him to come to the set for the Goonies. I said Troy and his friends were at the Wishing Well, and. You got Troy bragging about how far he's been and then throws a coin, wishing to go all the way with uh, Andy. They toss a coin back up. They suddenly hear Andy and she asks to send down a bucket to help her out. But before she can get lifted up, Mikey reminds her and everyone else that Goonies never say die. Yeah, never say die. Like our parents, our parents is their time up there. This is our time down here. She says she's not a Goonie, but Mikey then goes into a monologue about waking up the next day and about the, the sky and other town and how they can make a change unless she decides to go up to Troy, in Troy's bucket. Troy then pulls up his coat. Well, he pulls up the bucket. He up, sorry, he, I wrote, that, I wrote that wrong. He pulls up his bucket, and it's just—it's the coat that he gave yeah, it's, her. It's his, it's his Letterman it. sweater, mm-hmm. and that's when he re- and then he gets all like teary eyed. He goes, "You Goonies!" Right. So we get Chunk interacting more of Sloth, saying that he's got a Baby Ruth candy bar. Ruth? Baby Ruth, Ruth baby Ruth. <laughs> Sloth. Fucking love Sloth, Breaks man. the chains from the walls. Sloth brings tears to my eyes every time. So he, he couldn't break the chains from the walls for his tray of fucking, you know, shrimp scampi, yeah, but no, he can break he, it for this baby with candy for, bar. He breaks the chains from the walls to, to, to form the bond of friendship with Chunk, man. That's why he pulls them chains off the walls. So this is where we get the first real look of be, Sloth here. Yeah, and we see him. He's, he kind of looks like a pinhead almost. He's, his makeup work is top notch. Yeah, it's really good. Who did the makeup on this? Thing, uh, I'm, I'm actually thinking about it right now. It definitely wouldn't I'm, I'm be Nick Terror or Burger at that time. No, like, no, no. They were, too, they were still they, they doing... Were, they were they were young. They were up and coming. They were doing... They were 85. They were working for George for uh, Day of the Dead. Yeah. Um, But it's, it is a very good... Make. Like, you... Like, because Matusak at the time had long hair. He had, like, a mullet and a full beard. You can't see any of that on the character of Sloth. Maybe he shaved his beard, but you can't even tell if he's got Don't hair. Don't quote me, but I want to say it was done by uh, Wes Takahashishi. Okay, so it wasn't even Stan Winston group or anybody like that, huh? I'm sorry, Wes Takahashi. Okay. Well, either way, either way, the, you know, no. the Sloth makeup looks good. It with does. The, you know, the, the, the missing teeth and the... The wiggly ears, because like all, they're like all his features are offset. Like his it's, eyes it's, and ears are not level. It's an actor rebel. with all with automatic, with automatronic, animatronic. Yeah, there's somebody probably behind yeah. a two sack yeah. with, with little remote controls and shit, exactly. making his ears and eye move. Exactly, because I think so. you only see one real eye in that that get up. This is one, yeah, yeah. So sloth and chunk get to know one another and form a bond together. Sloth, chunk, sloth. Oh, 
Mikey, he finds the very sweet bond too. Very between these two, one of the highlights of the film. Yeah, build throughout the film, but yeah, definitely very sweet bond. So Mikey finds the three stones for his skull pennant, locks it in, and turns it counterclockwise. Yeah, because based on the map, it says something about stones and you know the 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 western foam or or whatever like that. So that's how they determined that he got to go counterclockwise. Traps his hand and sets off another booby trap in the process. That's our our, what third Rube Goldberg of the film. Yeah, it's not the last one. (laughs) So this one sends Data down a pit, but he's saved by the pinches of peril. Pinches of peril. Basically, there's little chattery teeth attached to a fucking slinky that are hooked to his belt. How they hold his weight. I have no idea, but I'm. And this you know, is the gadget that works, right? It's one of the ones that fucking work. Everyone else, didn't. I'm giving it suspension of disbelief because last thing I want to see is Key High Kwong and impaled by a bunch of spikes after a twenty. I know, drop. right? You know, so say about a pinch of peril. You know, so we see Chunk trying to call the cops, but they don't believe a word of his story, including one about creatures that multiply when you put water on them. An obvious Gremlins reference right. from the and previous you know, year. You know, ironically enough, what I thought um, it turned out at the scene because when it, when he's on the phone with the cop, the cops were actually repairing a fishing reel. What I originally thought last night when I was watching that scene until the very end of it, when you see it's a fishing reel, you know what I thought he was fixing. That gadget that that Hoyt uh, Axon's character is trying to sell in the beginning, the buddy of the, something. I thought, the, yeah, I the, 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 the little buddy tool that that that, yeah. that Hoyt Axon's character invented. He's trying to market yeah. in the Gremlins. I thought that was another nod to Gremlins that he was trying to fix that thing, like he bought it off a. Of, Oh, I think accident. that would have been a little bit too on the nose, right? He's like, yeah. but I mean, obviously the you know the the things that turn into monsters after midnight was, or don't get them wet after midnight was enough of a throwback. Yeah, that was that was because, nice. Let's face it, I mean, all those guys were were rubbing elbows together: Donner, Spielberg, Zemeckis, Lucas. Is that a whole Warner Brothers gang? Yeah, yeah, yeah. and and like Amblin had a hand in most of that anyway. Right, right before. You know, they got together with, 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 um, Katzen and, Ge- uh, Katzenberg and Geffen to create, uh, DreamWorks shortly thereafter. So the group splits up into various restrooms. Meanwhile, <laughs> yeah. Chunk and Sloth find the pipe room from earlier. Chunk shakes on a pipe and we get a funny moment with a car sound, a car crash sound yeah, effects. Yeah, like Sloth pushes it up. Someone's screaming. And it's literally like he just shoved fire hydrants up out of the ground and you hear cars And slamming. I love the, the, the little oops face that yeah. Sloth gives <laughs> Chunk. Sloth's like, oops. So Andy calls for Bran, but he sends Mikey instead. Uh, she surprises him with a kiss while her eyes are closed, then asks Steph if Bran has any braces, saying that it was a weird moment. Indeed it is. <laughs> weird fucking moment in this movie. Um, the Fratellis eventually catch up oh, to she the She told group. Steph, like, watch your step. I think Bran was standing in a hole. Yeah, in a hole. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So they catch up to the group, the Fratellis, and they chase. They give chase to him. The, they eventually have a cross... They eventually have to cross um, a large log over a smaller waterfall. Yeah, originally there's a little rope handle there, and that breaks right away. Yeah. So they got to keep their balance and cross. So it. they all get across, but Data, 
who who uh, stays behind to uh, slit the glog up with some. Well, oh, he's he's the last one in line, and the Fratellis are right on their trail. So he decides to use what does he call them? Slicky slicky shoes, Sli- something like that. I, he's, he's, he's got, got so uh, yeah, this other one is a little Bond guy. He's got like a little oil slicker in the base of these Converse All Star yeah, slick shoes or something. So the Fratellis shoot at them as they escape, and the Fratelli brothers both. <laughs> The Fratelli brothers both slip on the log as the group finds a room with the skeleton yeah, both piano. Of them, both of them land on their nuts. Yeah, <laughs> with uh, bone keys that they have to play correctly to open up the next door. Yeah, But any wrong note will cause the floor and random pieces to start collapsing piece by piece. Uh-huh. So they eventually do it. I'm sorry, Andy eventually does it correctly and narrow escapes. Yeah, they, they find the notes of the, of the correct notes on the back of the yeah. map. They just suddenly happen to turn the map over at this point in time and realize <laughs> there's... You know, there, there's there's musical notes on there. So the Fratellis gain on them uh, as they get to this room. Then we get the famous water slide scene that leads to the uh, the cave with One Eye Willie's ship. What? Oh my god! Got to stop here and talk about this spectacular set design. Yeah. And so the, the actors here, genuine reaction because they held off on showing the kids yeah, the they, set. Yeah, they, 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 they pulled a Mel Stewart and Willy Wonka in, in, in Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory. They did not reveal the right. set to the kids. So the wow until looks it was, time was, to film. was genuine. And it was, it's a really, I mean, obviously, you know, especially watching it on on 4k like we like we both done you can see that it's not a real cave it's a set but it's fucking believable for it's still you know, for the production it's, it's, still, it's awesome. gorgeous it's great especially and, that ship right that's where most of the budget money went I'm yeah 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 right and now. the cool part is like apparently they they literally like let the kids play on the water slide yeah. in between in between takes they're like yeah go ahead and just go have fucking fun and these kids got to pretend that they were a water park all day when they were filming the movie the kids had some fun set. yeah That's with that awesome. scene that they all talk about like that being their favorite day of filming was the whole you know this willie willie ship set but yeah oh, i imagine they were doing this for a couple weeks easily but yeah it's it's they were probably here doing this for at least two weeks yeah. i'd say 10 to 14 days yeah but their set. their reactions are genuine because they kept the kids from seeing the ship and the right. actual cave set much like how mel stewart did in 71 with keeping all the kids from seeing you know the the inside of wonka's chocolate factory for the first time <laughs> which i think works in terms of the film. So the group climb aboard the Inferno and do some discovering for the treasure. Data falls through some wood and finds a bunch of old skeleton corpses. Everyone's arguing about where the gold is when Andy accidentally sets off another trap that leads to the discovery of One-Eyed Willie's treasure, including the skeleton of Willie himself. Yeah, because they find like, it's like the only thing on the map is just a picture of Cannonball Room. And then they find there's like an there's a hidden entrance that takes them up yeah. into where the cannibals would be stored. So it's obviously that Willie and a couple of his buccaneers had kind of stashed themselves in there with literally the motherload of this hoard. It's a shit ton it of gold and jewels. It is a massive amount of gold yeah, and gold jewels and, and diamonds, man. And they're all starting loading up. Andy's putting necklaces and tiaras on. And then we know. get this nice little... Mikey having a little one-on-one with, yeah. with Willie. He introduces him to the Goonies. Mike Walsh, you've been expecting me, haven't you? 
beat you. I got here in one piece. So, that's why they call you One-Eyed Willie. One-Eyed Willie. We had a lot in common, huh, Willie? Then they start looting all the gold, except for a small stash that belongs to Willie. Yeah, it's on a scale. He's like, yeah, no, everything but that, that belongs to Willie. He knows what that Willie. is, too. Yep, yep. As well as us, the audience. Realizing yeah. that the Fratellis are still after them, Mikey can Mikey concocts a plan to fool them, only they're already there and order them outside He's with like, the I saw gun. this on the Hardy Boys. We lead a trail of jewels into one cave, yeah. we hide in the other, and while they're looking for us in the wrong cave, we escape. Data starts attacking with some of his gadgets, but they're ordered to uh, empty all their loot into a pile, which they do. Then Mama Fratelli orders Andy to walk the plank, but she, her hands are tied, it's worth mentioning. She can't swim with her hands tied, so uh, and she goes in. So Bran jumps in after her and, and uh, saves her. I will say this. He can't dive worth a shit. No, he can't he, he goes for a dive and turns out more like a belly well, flop. That wasn't Josh Brolin. I know, I know, but still. Yeah. So Sloth suddenly arrives with Chunk. Save the day. Hey, you guys! You know where that comes from? Hey, you guys. Yeah, no, where, where that where that comes from? It came from um, the Electric Company, uh, 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 Children's Television Network. I know. PBS. Yeah, well, okay, I'm okay. with it. It was right. yeah one one of the one of the regular bits they used to do on there, and I forget what it was, but I always you know the Electric Company was like your Sesame Street for the older kids. You know, that's where Morgan Freeman got to start as Easy Reader. Hmm. Um, but yeah, that Hey You Guys comes from that. And in 1985, as a 10-year-old in a theater, right. you know, I got that right away. <laughs> you know, I, I got that joke the first time I saw it, you know, almost 40 fucking years ago. So, they're even dressed to the nines in pirate garb. <laughs> right? Yeah, Chuck's got the truffle <laughs> hat on. The kids escape from the ship while Sloth stays behind to fight the brothers and mama. He's like, oh, it's Captain Chunk. And he's yeah. got his little foot yeah. scimitar and stuff. Chunk's got the Superman shirt on. Or Sloth's got the Superman shirt That's, on. I love that reveal. He's like, he just, he rips it open. It's, yeah, he reveals it. It's, and, and I got. And, and, I see you, Richard Donner. I see right, you. Right. <laughs> and, and he was able to repurpose a couple of notes from the Superman score for that moment. 
because I noticed that last night, and for whatever reason, like, like that, like brought a little bit of a tear to my eye. That moment of Chunk, I mean, uh, Sloth just ripping his ripping the shirt open to 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 show the big Superman logo with his red suspenders and shit. So he ends up hanging the brothers together. Um, not like hang isn't kill them, but like tie them together. Well, they try to trick him. They try to right. trick him into playing jump rope. And, and, he, they, whip, and, and yeah, he ends up turning the tables. Whip around and right. he just grabs him, ties him up, and hoists him up to the mast. Saying, hey, you guys, in the process. Uh, Mama tries singing Rockabye Baby to him. But uh, after hearing the words break and fall, I uh, bring back painful memories. So he takes Mama and throws her off the ship. Sloth dies in uh, to the yeah, water. Yeah, Mama's like, I only dropped you once. I yeah. only dropped you a couple times. Sloth dies in after the kids. Mikey doesn't want to leave all the gold, but Brand says that they have to, and it's that like they'll come back for it. Yes, we'll, we'll come back. It's either that or our lives. Mama gets back on ship and cuts the brothers down. She thanks Mr. Willie for making her day. When uh, she goes to take his start loading up, and she makes a mistake and grabs from the scale. Booby trap. Yep, she grabs from the scale. Sets off another Rube Gold booty trap. <laughs> uh, while the kids find light from the cavern wall, Dad mistakes a candle for a stick of dynamite and tosses it. So no, the other way around, he mistakes a stick of dynamite. He's like, I found these candles. Wait, this candle's defective. It's sparkling. Yeah, he mistakes the candle for it. Yeah, he, he, mista- he mistakes the dynamite. He thinks he's got a candle. Oh, yeah, that's right. I'm yeah, sorry. He's, he Where mistakes the dynamite for an actual candle. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Let's see. English pal, English. <laughs> so sloth, he helps keep it from falling. The the, the, the yeah, he's bolt. holding the rock up with his back. There's a rock. He said they all crawl out, including Chunk, who sloth stops to uh, say he loves first. Yep, I love you, Chunk. Yep, he tells Chunk he loves him. He's like, I love you too, sloth. And Chunk's getting a little teary eyed. Yeah. So the booby trap also set off a rig that raises the anchor and allows the ship to float out into the ocean. Yeah, the dynamite's already set, caused almost like an avalanche. The rocks right. are falling down, and the, and there's even you know a, a collapse where the ship can actually finally sail out of the cave. I don't know how that worked, but so you know, on the beach for the movie, a couple of beach patrol officers spot the kids. All the parents and town reporters arrive to the scene. Now, Big hold reunion. On, hold on, who's who's one of those beach patrollers? Is that is that Donner? That's Donner. Donner, yeah. That's, yep. that's He's like, say. it's them goobers. Well, I'll be damned. It's them goobers. They weren't here a minute ago. But they're here now, Dan. Paul Harvey. Yes, sir. That's that's Richard Donner. Yeah, that's okay. Richard Donner. Richard Donner in a cameo. Yeah. Yep. Richard Donner's cameo is one of the cops on the four wheelers. So, like, it's them goobers. Big reunion of sorts. The Vitellis are arrested. Sloth goes to live with Chunk. Mikey's father was approached by the businessman about the foreclosure paperwork. It's revealed it's the father of Troy. I don't think it's revealed here. I think we knew that, didn't we? Maybe we, maybe we didn't. That, that this is Troy's dad. Oh yeah, yeah. It was. It was. It, I think. It, I think it had been revealed a little bit okay. prior to this. So right as he goes, right as he goes to sign it, Rosalita finds uh, Mikey's marble sack. Yeah, she's going through his jacket. Full the kids of are all wrapped up in like police uh, jackets and stuff. Full of Willie's diamonds. Gems. Talking to reporters, we see uh, Data mention a scary octopus. Let's talk about this octopus. Why does he mention an octopus? Do you know uh, why? Yeah, because they they actually did. It was a, it was a scene that was filmed, but it got caught. You can is find it, it on YouTube. It's on the DVD. Oh, is it? Is it's, it? It's, oh, it, it's a very it? accessible okay, yeah, scene. Yeah, I, I I do know that the, the, they had filmed it. they had filmed a, uh, a scene where the kids kind of wrestle an octopus. 
Um, I don't know exactly where it happens in the film. I'm assuming it, it's right around. It happens when they get into the cave. After okay. they after they come off the water slide into the cave. Right. I, I, before they get to the ship. Before they get to the ship, obviously. Okay, As okay. they're walking, um, Steph keeps telling Mouth to stop you know, messing with her because she keeps on feeling something touching her leg. Oh, okay, she, okay. Thinking it's Mouth, it's actually a tentacle. I got That's you. when the, the octopus is revealed and like grabs her and pulls her and they gotta like save no, I'm assume, her. I'm assuming he pulled it just because the effect probably didn't look as good as they wanted on in, 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 in finished post-production. Um, I'm not 100% sure why that scene was cut. I've always known that, that it's the not the best looking effect and that it existed. It's I didn't practical. know you could view it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very, it's, it's very accessible. You can watch it. Okay. Um, but I did know, yeah, they left that line in where, where, where data's like, oh, fighting the octopus was scary. The big scary octopus. Yeah. And people just thought for the longest time that he was just dad telling stories, you know, right. Just, you know, exaggerating on something. Right. But no, it was, and they just it was neglected legit to edit the line cut. out once they edited the scene. Yeah. Out. Probably time restraints. I don't know. I mean, it's a finished scene. It's, yeah. You know, that and another scene were both cut and added in later releases. So who knows? Um, uh, then the kids, uh, they see Willie's ship from a distance as it heads into the Pacific. Bringing. Yeah, it's just sailing off into the sunset. And. Unmanned. Bringing the Goonies to a close. And that is the Goonies from the late Richard Diner. Thank you, sir. Yes, thank you for imbuing my childhood. Same. All right. So let's take a look at the inbox. Uh, what's in the box? What's in the fucking box? Each week before we record an episode, I ask the people to uh, chime in on Twitter. I think we got a comment. Yeah, we did. Film Floggers chimed in. Oh, uh, a- I have only seen the Goonies once. What? Frown face. I now have a valid excuse to give it a rewatch. Oh. Yes, you do. Yeah, which, sure enough. Take which, this which, as your inspiration. Whichever one of you two said that. Definitely. Check this movie out. Um, it... I've already talked to you guys and said that it was my favorite Richard Donner movie. Watch it for your own reasons. Watch it if it's a good movie. Watch it for nostalgia purposes. Just watch it. You know? It's put yourself in a mindset of when you were 12 years old, man. Exactly. What, what would you rather do on a Saturday afternoon with your buddies but go on a pirate treasure adventure? Exactly. You know? Exactly. So it's exactly how you got to come at it. So Thanks for that, guys. Yeah, thank you again. Hey guys, so I'm in the middle of editing right now and I see that a couple of more people actually left comments last night on the uh, inbox segment on Twitter. So I wanted to fit them in here while I was still editing. So that being said, Josh at your next favorite movie said, damn it, I was sleeping all day and missed it. So Josh, that's what happens when you're a hard worker like yourself and it definitely pays off. Once again, check out your next favorite movie. Josh, all the hard work that he does definitely pays off. And Backlook Cinema, Zoe says, The Goonies was one of those movies that I never got around to seeing. The year before last, the family went to a free screening at National Stadium. Cool, cool, cool. It's the kind of fun, weird movie that definitely would have I would have enjoyed had I seen it when it first came out. Yeah, there's definitely a ton of movies that are like that that I feel once you don't see it at a certain point. It's kind of like you missed the mark. And um, I, I definitely know what you're saying. I can definitely relate on certain films that I saw later on in my life that just did not hold up the way they should have. And I think that uh, seeing a film at a certain age plays a part in that. So, yeah. So thank you guys for your contributions. And we will back to the show. 
Alright, so box office receipts. In the operational funds box, we will deposit 250,000 American dollars. You take it out, we put more in. I want receipts. So the Goonies was released on June 7th, 1985 from Warner Brothers Pictures. It opened up to 1,705 screens, earning $9.1 million opening weekend. That was enough to open up at number two. I created $4.25 <laughs> worth of that revenue back then. Second weekend, it only had an 8% drop. That's unheard of these days. $8.3 million, still number two. Yeah, I mean, they, they, they timed it right, dude. We were fresh out yeah. of school. You know, they had been, they had been marketing it towards, obviously, my generation was your target audience because I was a 12 year old kid then. And what, what else did you have to do when you were that young? I was, but, but ride your bike to the theater and go see a cool right. movie with your buddies. This would have been the one I would have went with to see my buddies. But I mean, I went with my dad. I had my dad take me that weekend. Yeah. Since its release, it has garnished $124 million off of, against a $19 million budget. I think initially it made sixty one or sixty two million in its initial run, but then it's been re-released so many times. Yeah, it's, and it's, it's, it's pretty had much double its money. I mean, you you got that nice four K set. I have um, a, a Blu Ray set was gifted to me for Christmas that came with an actual little board game where like you kind of work your way through the through the through the caverns. Yeah, I remember tunnel. that. I was telling you when you were telling me about that, I was like, Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. I never owned it personally. I think I only I think we only broke it out and played it once. I got it around here somewhere. Well even the four K has a special edition that they put out that's supposed to be uh, uh treasure chest. With, oh really? With the replica of Willie's map and oh, some okay. other stuff. That's cool, it's kinda though. like how my um Beetlejuice four K is a um the, the 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 book. It's a replica of the book. The uh, the book of the dead. Yeah, the book of the dead. Whatever it's so the one that looks like a nineteen fifties fucking homeowner. Yeah, it's got, it's got like a like a like a greenish cover. cover. Uh, yeah, okay, yeah, it's, it's, okay. Yeah. Something for the recently deceased. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's in handbook for the recently deceased. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a replica of that. So yeah. that's pretty cool. That's neat. I love it when they do shit like that. Yeah, man. me too. Give you a little tangible moment from the film to call your own. Those are great. All right. Let's take a walk to the Critics' Corner, see what they had to say about the movie. Eves. Gave the film three out of four stars and called the film a smooth mixture of the usual ingredients from Steven Spielberg action movies, made special because of the uh, because of the high energy performances of the kids yeah. who have the adventures. Partner with the time, Gene Siskel of the of the Chicago Tribune gave the film three and a half stars. Gave the film three stars as well, and wrote that after a dull start, some kind of minor movie miracle takes place and the Goonies gets its act together as the kids stop trading wisecracks and get closer to finding their long-lost treasure, pirate treasure, thereby to help save their parents' home. Only then do they... Only then do we accept the Goonies for what it is, a funny juvenile wind-up toy about kids in perilous comic book situations. Janet Maslin of the New York Times wrote that the film has a kind of breakneck pacing that keeps it fast, funny, ingenious, entertaining, yeah. and 
only a small point while the movie is in progress, almost entirely without staying power. Variety called it a dangerous Disneyland sort of film stamped with the Steven Spielberg style of high fun. Like other Spielberg summer extravaganzas, Pick is a rolling roller coaster. I'm sorry, Pick is a roller coaster ride being best enjoyed as it's speeding along once it stops to consider its sacred state of indolence. It becomes painfully syrup- syrupy. Syrupy. Yeah. I've never heard someone describe something as syrupy before. That is uh, definitely just, a first. It, yeah, it just, it just means it's kind of like pandering to the audience and like tries to pull on the heartstrings a little too much. That's what I do. Gotcha. Colin Greenland reviewed The Goonies for White Dwarf, stated that The Goonies I was unable to enjoy because of a bunch of kids yelling and screaming all the way through. Not the <laughs> audience, the actors. <laughs> and finally, Rotten Tomatoes. It is currently sitting at a 76%. Critics, 91% audience. The uh, critical consensus says The Goonies is an agenda is an energetic, sometimes noisy mix of Spielbergian sentiment and funhouse tricks that will appeal to kids and nostalgic adults alike. So yeah. Did you know, because I mentioned before in the box office that it was it opened up at number two. Do you know what number one was? What was it? Yes. 85. Uh, it's going to be hard. Back to the Future? Nah. Close. Rambo, First Blood Part 2. Oh, wow. Yeah, ironically enough, I saw that the same summer. So I might have went to, I might even did two that damn weekend. Although I can see that, though. That's going to appeal to more of a, you know, the crowd that has the money to buy a movie ticket than the ones that got to ask mom and dad for a ride and, you know, part of their allowance to go see it that weekend. All right. Biggest takeaways. Mr. Madison, what you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. Uh, I'm going to go first because mm-hmm. I'm going to spitball this. I didn't write Jack down for this one. I never do. Um <laughs> I usually do. I usually write down my, my keynotes for especially this category. So for the first time, I'm winging it. Um, my biggest takeaways is this is a roller coaster ride. I know I just said that in someone's review, but it, I was planning on saying that anyway. It's the best way to describe this. I've always viewed this film as that, as a ride. Um, yeah, it feels like something you would experience at, 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 at like, right. you know, Universal Studios or Disney. And call this a cliche. I know this has done the death and said the death, but. I literally felt like a child rewatching this movie this morning. It took me back to my youth. Um, I had a grand old time with it. Not a whole lot that I can pick apart. It does its job and it, 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 it does its job. There's no other way to put it. Um, it's, it's aimed at kids and adults who were there for that experience as a kid at its time of release. Like you and I, like, yeah. you know, we have childhood memories of this movie, even though yeah. it didn't come out, even though now looking back at it, you know, we're full grown adults. Um, I don't have an issue. I don't have any issues with the casting. Even mm-hmm. Corey Feldman didn't annoy me, which he usually did in his, uh, youth. I mean, his, oh. his couple scenes in the Goonies, I was like, I mean, his, his couple scenes in the Gremlins irritates the shit out of me. But here, I had no problems with them. Everyone played the parts right. Um, it's always fun going back and seeing a big actor like Josh Brolin as a as a 
youth. Yeah, you know, as, as, as a youngster, young. probably early twenties. Like fifteen, no, I'd say it was like fifteen, sixteen. Really, was he young? Uh-huh. Oh yeah, and um, yeah, don't sleep on it. If you've only seen it once or twice, rewatch it. I mean, for for me, it's uh, it's it's going to be uh, like it. Again, I've said this multiple times through this episode and previous, but I was that target audience and it worked for me. It put me in that mindset like, yeah, man, this is, this is what it's all about. This is what I'm going to do with my friends. And, you know, it, it invigorated, it invigorated your youth a little bit. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I can't tell you how many adventures I went looking for that summer with my buddies. Granted, I don't live anywhere near a cool cave or anything like that to go looking for pirate treasure. But I'll be damned if we didn't go out on our bikes and ride around trying to do some cool shit like these kids did. And y'all agree with you. It does. It, it feels like a theme park ride, you know, obviously because of Spielberg's influence and, you know, the, the, the way they design all the Rube Goldberg set pieces and, and yeah, specifically that, the, and the combination of that and the, um, they go down a fucking water slide. They right. literally slide down a water right. slide. They, 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 they want a way to work it, to work that gimmick in organically right. to the setting. You know, so it just feels like something you, like you wanted to be a part. I remember being in a theater, like, I wish I could, I wanted to be mouth. I'm yeah. sitting in a theater. I just wanted to be mouth. I wanted to have the members only jacket, the purple rain t-shirt and the, and the fucking leather parachute. I mean, that, that, that pirate ship slash cave reveal genuinely truly is a wow moment. Yeah, it is. So imagine, imagine being 11 years old in a theater seeing that. Yeah, I know. You know what I mean? It was just such like, I fucking, I was gobsmacked. You know, I can remember that. And yeah, like last night watching it, I was brought back to my youth a couple of times. Oh, yeah. You know, so it's a very nostalgic ride for me because it brings back very, very fond memories of, you know, that carefree time, you know, when I was that age and just hanging out with my friends and doing just going on goofy, dangerous shit that our parents would have never let us get away with if we'd have told them what we were up to that weekend. All right, Mulligan moment. If you had to do it all over again, would you make the same choices? Um, I'm gonna say, you know what, you know what mine is. Yeah, honestly, I've I've always had a sticking point with this. Um, the small amount of jewels that come out of Mikey's marble bag, (laughs) I still have a hard time believing that's enough to save the entire Goondocks. Like, I don't know. I mean, I get it. They're you know they're sizable stones, but there's not even like. You know, there's only a handful of them in there. Is that enough to to stop the foreclosure oh, yeah. on six homes? Oh, oh yeah. You oh, think yeah. so? Oh, absolutely. You think so? I mean, obviously, if they'd have got away with what they originally took, they could have bought the fucking town of Astoria two times over. But I've that seen little bit smaller piles of diamonds, you know, in movies, but still like, like legit stuff that that. Come and again, out we're to be we're like, talking 1985 economy, so yeah, I guess it's a little yeah, more believable. Yeah. But I've, I've seen to, smaller to, stacks turn out big numbers so who knows who knows but and then then there's also you got to suspend disbelief a little bit like do they really get to claim all that is that is that now property of the town of a story that goes in a museum because yeah. that's where it's at you know great but but you're supposed to turn your you know you're supposed to ignore that turn your brain off on it so that was my really only thing was like i thought they need at least a little bit more for them to get away with to save all but you know brandon mikey walsh's home um other than that, no, nah, man. I mean, the, 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 the film's a fun for, fucking ride. It got its job done. For me, it's not about the film itself. It, it's a little bit different than the usual answer that I give out for this uh, this category. But hear me out, because it also goes against what I'm usually preaching against. Um, 
The Goonies 2. <laughs> Missed opportunity. This is a film that screams sequel. Yeah, this let's is get a it back film together. that screams but, franchise. But you can't wait too long. You can't do no more. That that ship sailed. Right, right. Literally, but you, could, you couldn't. Sailed. Yeah, in 85, you would have had to have done the second one this by 1990. This film should have came out in like 88, 89. They should have made a sequel with them a little bit older, maybe bringing in a couple more members. Right. Um, you can even use the old Tyson plot of, like the video game did, the Fratellis escaping from from jail again. Yeah. Um, you know, because imagine the possibilities of the plot. Willie's ship is now out there in the open. And now they go after it. The search for the ship. I don't know. Whatever you want to call it. Whatever, whatever play you want to go with. You know, take the story out of Astoria. Um, but they just, there was a lot. I don't know. Maybe that's kind of helps the film and its legacy is that there's only one. Yeah, I think so. I mean, anything would have, like, any, no matter how good the second would have been, it still would have kind of tarnished. And you heard you know, of the, the sequel so many times throughout, you know, over the years that it's hard to believe who's full of shit and who's being sincere. Right. They were talking about it for a bit. Are I they playing up the reports for reporter's sake or are they just, you know, being legit? Uh, like, like Sean Aston, I remember giving an interview, you know, not, I don't want to say too recent, but also not too long. They always say we're working on the script. Talking about, yeah, script, we're, we're going to, we're going to be the parents and the kids are going to go on the adventure. We're going to be tagging along, you know, which could have worked if you'd have waited too long after. After the release of the I think film. after a certain time, the ship is sailed. And like, uh, I think that time No was, pun intended. Yeah, I know. That's why, it's, like I said before in this, I think that after about eight or nine, ten years is pushing it, maybe. Like, after that, mid-90s, don't. Uh, don't yeah. do the, the... We're now parents. Uh, right. Don't. And our kids... And we're going to teach our kids the spirit of Goonies never saying die. And it's like, right. no, stop. Right. No, don't, don't do that, it. That, don't. Would see, that would feel like it's milking it. So, yeah. Did they, I remember they were supposed to do like an anniversary screening in Astoria hosted by Donner and some of the kids. Did that ever come to fruition? Do you uh, know? Yeah. They to did. To my do knowledge, that? it did. Now, I've always, I, I wouldn't, I'm like, man, it's, that'd be worth, you know, buying a plane ticket for. You know, you know, the one thing that we didn't talk about is the, the kids, um, or not all of them, but, um, at least almost half the cast members, Legacy in the industry. I mean, they came. They came from actors. Yeah, you know? I mean, um, Sean Astin is Patty. Uh, you know, Patty Duke and John Astin. John son. Astin, of course. And Baltimore. Josh Brolin is. Yeah, it's right. Yeah, John Astin from Baltimore. Um, Josh Brolin is the son of James John, Brolin. James Brolin. Martha Plimpton, who plays Steph. Her dad is George Plimpton, who most people probably remember as the. Um, the uh, the psychiatrist, one of the psychiatrists that that uh, Will Hunting fucks with in the beginning of Go. Yes, Go. yes, that's that's her dad. We talked George. about in that episode. Yeah, we did. Yeah, we did. yeah we did. So, right, that's right. So at least you know, at least three of these cast grew up on movie sets anyway. Hey guys, check out previous yeah. episode of Go Will Hunting. Good stuff. Yeah, yeah, we we mentioned George Plimpton, and I believe I bring up his daughter Martha and mentioned the Goonies at some point. So yeah, um, right, your finger looking good. Finger licking good. For me, it's got to be that water, the end, the water slide to the to the cave to that wow movie we were talking about. Just, I mean, that's what the film leads up to, right. and it delivers. It doesn't disappoint. No. It's a fun way of getting to your final act, right? You know, your big reveal. Yeah, and it. You've said it enough. I'll say it again. Like it is a genuine wow moment, and. It, it's the highlight of the film. Um, 
it, yeah, it, it, feel, it, feel, that, that it, it fills you with a little bit of joy yeah, and kind does. of wells you up a little bit of tears of, it's, it's of happiness. It's awesome. It is awesome, awesome, awesome. Yeah, I was going to say mine is mine is pretty much anything set on and around the pirate ship, especially yes. any scene any scene with sloth. You know, because yeah. he gets his time to shine when they get to the pirate ship. So yeah, my my whole finger looking good is the whole pirate ship sequence, especially the scenes with with Sloth. Just like the way Matusak plays the character and the way he's 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 physically intimidating and grotesque, but you know deep down he's just a big old lovable teddy bear that no matter how ugly he is, you want to give him a hug and a kiss. <laughs> You know, when, right. when Sloth looks, I mean, when Chuck looks at Sloth and he's like, you're going to live with me now. See, every time, man, he just tells me, you're going to come live with me now. It's, heart- it's good heartwarming man. shit. Man. Heartwarming. Absolutely. Yep. yep. Mm. All right. Your final thoughts. Um, Look, there's not really much I can add to what we've just been talking about as far as the film goes my final thoughts are just like i just talked about you know a film that definitely truly holds up if you haven't seen it in a while if you've been sitting on it pull the trigger um it's just it it's a movie that you can watch and smile and come out at the end of it you know just feeling better about just feeling better in general it's it's just a good 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 it's a a it's a fun rollicking adventure with you know a couple of prepubescent teens leading your way instead it, of a instead of a grizzled archaeologist. If you, you got know. kids, show it to your kids. Hell yeah. You know, give yourself whatever reason you need to rewatch this movie tonight and then do so. That's me. Yeah, and if you have kids and if you get, especially kids around that age and you haven't shared this film with them yet, you should have already seen this movie at least once, if not multiple times by now. Then why the hell haven't you shown them that joy? Like, look what I got to experience. I showed this to Madeline when she was four. Yeah. How'd she, how'd she take it? She, she liked it. She loved She's it. always liked this movie. Yeah. She's always been a fan good, of Good, man. Good, good. Absolutely. I don't have any children, you know, but if I did, I'd be like, you're going to sit down and watch what daddy went through, you know, when he was about your age. You Buckle up. You're in for a fun ride. You're going to feel like you're on a 90-minute roller coaster. All right. So this episode is sponsored by Garmin GPS and their new DriveSmart 65 device that would have gotten Mikey and his pals to that treasure chest a whole lot easier and faster than a treasure map. Skip those underground lairs with the most vicious Rube Goldberg booby traps and head straight to One-Eyed Willie's ship with the Garmin DriveSmart 65. Not an actual promotion. It's featured with humorous intentions. We collect no money from Garmin and have no relationship with the company. It's, an, it's not a real ad. It's a joke. These are the jokes. All that being said, this film definitely gets the film effect seal of approval, and Damn that'll right. bring things home for this edition of the show. One down, many more to follow. If you want to hear more film effect, then check out our website at podpage.com slash the-film-effect-podcast. There you'll find our ever-going collection of previous episodes, and of course... We will be back next week to talk all about Ben Affleck's 2010 epic classic, The Town. <laughs> a film that originally had scheduled as a Patreon exclusive for September, I believe. But I, no, we're, we're doing this for everyone here. And we're doing this now because mm-hmm. I want to talk about this movie. I'm going to watch it again. <clears throat> you and I 
have a lot of history together with this film. Damn right we do. And if, if, if you guys, if one of the reasons you guys listen to this podcast is for that relationship between me and Sean, do not miss next week. No, Because this film has a very personal connection to the two of us. Yep. And we will be there to talk all about it. Yeah, it's almost like you're going to be hanging out with Doug McCray and Jam the whole run, man. For real. Same film effect place, same film effect time. Shit. Before we get out of here, guys, though, like I told you, we've got the website, podpage.com slash the-film-effect-podcast. We're on social media. Facebook and Instagram. What's that handle? The Film Effect Podcast. How about Twitter? Film Effect Pod. If you got emails? The Film Effect Podcast at gmail.com. Guys, seriously, we implore you, if you have the time and are capable of doing so, five-star ratings and reviews, they help us so much with the algorithm and get us known. We're just trying to get the show out there for more ears to uh, tune in. So, you know, you, you can respect the hustle, I'm sure. Share the fun, man. Tell yeah. your friends. And, sh- and, and share, too. And if you haven't subscribed yet, what are you waiting for? The get hell, on that. Man. You've, you've been here to, all this time. You've listened to this whole episode. What's stopping you? Man, it's not hard. You have one job. Subscribe. <laughs> Click subscribe. Share to your friends. Smash that like button, as the cool kids say. Right? All right. So, yeah. Um... Once again, before we get out of here, rest in peace, Richard Donner, and thank you so thank much. Thank you for all the memories, sir. This one's for you. Yeah. And special, very special episode dedicated to Richard Donner. Absolutely. So, speaking of special episodes, take us out of this special one. All right, gang. We're going to see you all again next time when those theater lights go dim and the opening credits begin to roll. I've been Ed. That's been Sean. It's been fun. And goodies never say die. <laughs> Check you later. See ya.